At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. We're back. Hope everyone out there, Zinger Nation, hope you all had a great weekend as well. Um, yeah, Spencer, I mean, we, we've started off 2022 with just some crazy volatile markets. Yeah. Um, but, but today, so far, the start of this week. Quiet. Pretty quiet. I mean, at one point, the queues were up about a, a full percent and then kind of gave up some of those gains. Um, I was watching crypto all weekend. I don't know about you, but Ethereum, I was watching Ethereum and Bitcoin showed strength all, all throughout the weekend, up about six percentage points each um and, and dogecoin yesterday actually uh was was making some moves dogecoin was up at 1.8 percent in the day yesterday i mean it was like the biggest move in dogecoin that i've seen in a while wait do we have doge on pro i don't know yeah we do okay i should have known that i don't know how it's Sorry. holding up but it got up to yeah like 16 cents it got up to 16 cents yeah and over the weekend <sighs> look at that I, chart the chart i don't Yo, honestly, look at this look at that look at that craziness no that's crazy but the if you look at it over the past like month or so it's yeah. kind of just been consolidating it's at this point where it looks like it's trying to bottom out. if it starts coming back up i think it actually gets very interesting just strictly from a from a ta standpoint you know anytime you have know. an asset like this that is beaten up but then finds that level where it yeah. just kind of starts bottoming out and then starts curling back up usually um what happens is that you know that that formation that pattern continues and it continues to kind of come back up on that rounding bottom so um i've definitely been know. watching that been watching a few other names out there um i i th as far as dogecoin uh, like i i would say it, it probably needs to get to like like at what point does dogecoin have to get to for the mania to come back like 40 cents like well, like like, I, like if doge is at 40 all of a sudden doge is trending again everywhere no i think it depends because if, if it gets to 40 cents over the span of three months then maybe the mania never comes back if it goes from 16 to 30 cents tonight like if it goes up 100 I, that's what it needs it needs one okay. big move. you know it, it needs a bigger percentage move because if it just goes up three percent a day till it hits 40 cents i mean sure it'll get more people back interested in it but it won't get the the viral mania unless yeah. it, unless we have that like 50 percent 100 percent move in a day um and that's what will that's really true. get people's attention so uh i i don't know i just like I'm, I'm not going out there buying a bunch of dogecoin right now i'm saying it's starting to look interesting to me i did open a position in dogecoin over the weekend uh for the first time in months and months and months but it, it was just with some uh a little bit of money i was essentially just playing around with you know what sticks out to me on this chart is is uh i'm looking at volume here look at these volume bars look at the price spike volume spike price spike volume spike price spike volume spike yeah, three price spikes that coincided with massive increases in, in volume, all of which were quickly sold. Right, all those spikes were quickly; they couldn't even hold that that day. Right now, today you don't have a volume spike. Volume is like is normal. Maybe that is a sign of a more sustainable price movement. 
All I know is if I saw a, vol a huge volume spike, I would be inclined to sell the crap out of that. But we don't have that today. So something to, something to watch. I would definitely not watch price by itself. Let's just see how the volume behaves as well. If we get a huge volume spike, I, I don't even know how to short Doge, but I would inquire about shorting Doge. Um, and as far as the overall market is concerned, like you said, pretty quiet. Well, that's not what I want to do. Let's bring up the SPY. There it is. Look at today's range. Just super, super quiet. We'll go to the watch list. We'll look at the market. You just see not a lot of action, right? You got uh, Facebook is getting killed again, but uh, or sorry, Meta. But aside from that, it's just super duper quiet out there. Um, yeah, how is how is Meta doing? Ouch. Yeah, and before before Ouch. we uh, wrap Ooh. up the show today, I mean, I know we've got about two and a half more hours, but yeah. Um, I, I do want to take a look at the different earnings reports we have this week, see if oh. we have any ideas on how we want to play those. We got some good ones. Um, but we should probably talk about Spotify. Yeah, I was going to say, let's get to the biggest headline from over the weekend. So, you know, if, if you're out there on social media, essentially, if, if you're if you're not living under a rock, then people have been talking about Spotify. People have been talking about Joe Rogan. Um, you know, of course, we had a, a couple weeks ago this the news cycle started with. Uh, Neil Young basically saying to Spotify, hey, look, it's either it's either me or Joe. Neil Young is a, is a Canadian folk artist. Uh, did He's not... Canadian? Yeah. Holy crap, I never knew that. I think so. Someone fact-checked that for me. I'll look it up right now. Is Neil Young Canadian? Alan Vincent saying, yeah. Oh, so I'll I, be damned. Yeah. That's um, what I learned. So essentially Joe Rogan, who, if you guys aren't familiar, he, he's very popular for having kind of a – uh, he, he markets it as like an open-minded pocket. You know, he brings guests on from different, um, different viewpoints. Um, and, and essentially there were some – Rogan had some guests that were questioning the effectiveness and safety of COVID vaccines. Neil Young and others didn't like this, said, hey, Spotify, um, you know, you got, you got to take this down. And there were actually a group of doctors that banded together and wrote a letter to Spotify, which uh, that kind of kicked all of this off. But I didn't know this. I, I, I learned this researching it more over the weekend. The doctors that wrote this letter to Spotify, they weren't even saying they wanted the episodes or, or this taken off. They, the doctors were essentially just asking for, you know, if you, if you watch something on YouTube about COVID vaccine, it has that disclaimer that says like COVID misinformation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were essentially just saying Spotify, you guys should put something like this on there when, when Joe Rogan has some of these guys on um, that are questioning some of the science on here, et cetera. So I thought the doctors were originally were asking for them to take the stuff down. They were just asking for some more um, disclosures about how some of the information may not be accurate or whatever. Um, but essentially, uh, that was the first wave of criticism over COVID vaccines. And then over the weekend, uh, a video that someone edited surfaced uh, of uh, basically a montage of some racially insensitive language, which would be putting it mildly. A lot of uh, repeated use. Yeah, um, from, from Joe Rogan's podcast. So that was a whole second wave of controversy and criticism was that people were, were then talking about the, the racism in some of Rogan's old podcasts. So um, Spotify so, – so, then 70 episodes of the Joe Rogan podcast or more were taken down from Spotify and people were freaking out at Spotify saying, oh, my God, like, how could you how could you uh, censor this? The company came out today and said, 
Uh, he, they, he asked, didn't he ask? They him? confirmed. Well, they confirmed episodes were taken down, but they said it wasn't us that did it. It was uh, Rogan himself. And so essentially Rogan and his camp went through, yeah. combed through some of their own old episodes and decided on, on their own to take some off. Um, so the whole, you know, oh, my God, Spotify uh, censoring yeah. ended up not being, did not end up holding, holding weight. Although I do remember when, when Rogan's podcast first went to Spotify after they purchased the deals, there were a couple episodes that they didn't transfer over. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if that, if that from the initial standpoint was on Spotify side or on Rogan's side. Um, either way, looking at the price action of the stock, I mean, Spotify is down about two and a half, or three and a half percent today. Wow. It was down two and a half percent last time I checked. Uh, this comes, of course, after last week, Spotify reported some not so great earnings. So uh, just a whirlwind of a, of a social or of a PR spin for, uh, for Spotify over yeah, the past I, week. I mean, I don't even think either party has handled it that badly. I, for pe- people are, no matter what you do, everyone's going to be upset at, at you. Uh, I don't. I don't think like Spotify, like you said, they're not censoring Joe Rogan. He pulled down episodes himself. Now, someone in the chat mentioned this, and thanks for pointing this out. Was it was it C uh, was it CV CFVI right? Yeah, CFVI, which is that SPAC that's merging with uh, Rumble. They're up fifteen percent today, all because they offered Joe Rogan a contract to come stream exclusively on their platform with no censorship. This is, he's not, there's no indication that the Joe Rogan Spotify relationship is in danger at all. But I mean, my question is if, if, <laughs> so, if, if, if Rogan say he went to rumble and yeah. had a deal and then something else like this came up, came up, I mean, Rogan could himself then want to take episodes off Rumble, too. You know, it's like at that point, it's not the platform. It's, right, right. It's the artist saying, oh, I don't want that out there yeah. anymore. So this move is dumb. CFEI, this move is dumb. This is just the company trying to um, cash in on, on the controversy, right? This this doesn't hold any water at all. Spotify, again, I think, I think neither party, they haven't thrown each other under the bus. They've been... Joe Rogan was supportive of Spotify. Spotify was supportive of Joe Rogan. I think there's probably no da- no danger of that relationship uh, ending anytime soon. Um, but it, it it is interesting from the point of view like Spotify's business. It it, it just goes to show that, like they are in a way kind of married to their top content creators in the same way that um, like a Twitter. Like the same kind of thing that Twitter had with Trump, right? Or uh, YouTube has with like its top YouTubers, or like I'm trying to think of another example here. Um, well, that- like, like a Netflix has with like a particular showrunner or a director. It's the same kind of relationship. They need each other. Yeah. I you you I, I would argue that Spotify, in this sense, is more of a publisher than Twitter is. Okay. Um, so, so some background on this real quick without getting too deep into the weeds. Uh, there's a, uh, section 230. Oh yeah. Uh, section 230 essentially protects, uh, online platforms like Twitter, like Facebook as platforms and not publishers. So those companies are not held liable for what's uh, shared on there. It's essentially why, you know, Twitter can't be held liable for if someone goes on there and tweets, uh, something wildly inaccurate or crazy or whatever, um, but some people are arguing that in this sense where Spotify is paying someone $100 million for a deal and then they host that content exclusively, that that makes them 
a publisher of that content, which would actually then be able mm -hmm. to hold them liable. So I don't know, you're getting into this like whole kind of legalese, like weeds thing. I think bottom line, I agree with you that I don't think either party has, has handled this um, very improperly. I think yeah. um, going back to the Neil Young thing, because this was, uh, this was obviously just like a, a big hot button issue that everyone loved to argue about. I, the way I see it is like, okay, Spotify, yes, they, they're, they're clearly, they can position themselves to say, hey, we're in the right. We're not going to, you know, censor our artists just because one artist. But people yeah. are all like, oh, my God, Neil Young, like, he doesn't support freedom of speech. He, he, you know, he wants Joe Rogan censored, all this stuff. At the same time, Neil Young has a say where he wants his music being, you know, who he wants able to uh, benefit off of his music. And he's saying, hey, I don't, I don't support what Spotify is doing. I don't want them to be able to profit off of yeah. my records. That's completely fair. I, I didn't read it as like, oh, Neil Young, you know, wants Joe Rogan deplatformed to take yeah. away his free speech. I just no. think he says like, hey, if you guys are supporting this, that's fine. I just don't want any part of it. And it's notable that Spotify has done almost nothing in this situation, for better or for worse. They, they didn't kick Neil Young off. He took himself off. Right. They let him leave, right? They didn't uh, delete Joe Rogan's episodes. They let him do that himself. So they've sort of been like a neutral – not really neutral, right? Uh, but like they've been sort of like the passive observer here, um, which, which I thought is, is interesting. And the CEO Daniel Eck did come out over the weekend and and um, uh, publish a letter to the company, basically reiterating that they're not censorship is not really what is not their thing. They're not going to be monitoring their top uh, talent for things that they say. Um, but it, it does throw them now when you think about like companies that have this sort of a risk, you think about like Twitter has this kind of a risk, Facebook has this kind of a risk. Throw Spotify in that group as well. They have this kind of uh call it, I don't know, social political uh risk involved now. Because as much as I neither of us think that the Joe Rogan Spotify relationship is in danger, now at least you have to raise the possibility. I saw an analyst come out. Uh, today and did say that they wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or two Joe Rogan is off Spotify. You can speculate about that all you want, but at least it's if it wasn't in play before, it's in play a little bit more now. At least the question is out there. Well, I, yeah, I mean, at some point you have to, you know, say, okay, this is uh, like too big of a headache for us and our investors, whatever. But uh, Daniel, in, in I don't know if it was in the letter, but there was also a meeting they had with some Spotify employees where some audio was. Um, oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, I think some an employee at Spotify like recorded some of the meeting and leaked it to a to a reporter oh. from the LA Times or something. But um, Eck essentially that. said, "Hey, look, like I don't agree with a lot of what Rogan says or, or does, but he's been great for our business." And he said, that essentially, their mission um, for Spotify is to reach one billion users and fifty yeah. million creators. And he said, "This is uh, essentially Joe Rogan's just means to that end." Uh, they we need him. Exactly. <laughs> they and, need him. <laughs> and, and and he he also said like I don't think our business would be where it is today if uh, two years ago or a year ago we didn't make these investments in yeah. um, Joe Rogan in Call Her Daddy from Barstool. So Spotify has been active in that space, just trying to capture up original content. Um, we've talked about this before. Basically, all the big name players out there, whether it's Apple, Amazon, um, they're all spending money on content creation because it's revenue drivers. I think I think. This whole episode gets at to one core issue of Spotify, and that is, and they would probably agree 
that they need to diversify. Joe Rogan is the most popular podcast in the world, I think. Yeah. Definitely on Spotify by, by a mile. They would agree, and they spent a lot of money on, on bringing out a lot of talent. He, you mentioned Call Her Daddy, right? But to my knowledge, none of those podcasts have anywhere the same reach that Joe Rogan does. And, I, and I, this whole episode gets to the fact that they need to, Spotify needs to diversify. They need to find other stars, other huge podcasts. So they're not in this position where they're kind of, they're stuck. Whether they want, whether they like it or not, they're kind of married to Joe Rogan. And if Joe Rogan were to take his ball and go home, Spotify's kind of screwed. Yeah. Right? And I mean, think about it. So, yeah, the, like there are a bunch of different places you can go out there to stream music, to right. listen to music. There's only one place you can go out there to listen to Joe Rogan. Well, I think they put his stuff on YouTube, but it's like after. I don't know exactly yeah, how that works. Um, wait, let me see. I just saw a comment in here. Content creation can be argued that makes them publishers. Yeah. So that that's the legal yeah. argument out there is that once you cross that line, from platform from like forum where anyone can just post it on there um then you become a publisher then you become liable for what's posted on there that's what's protected uh you know all the social media and, and websites out there in the past from okay yeah uh so and so can go on here and put whether it, you know it's misinformation about vaccines or elections whatever we're yeah. not liable for it we're just a platform yeah. but then once you cross that line and become a publisher um then you can be, be held liable for it and there's actually um there's pressure on, on there's people on, on the left and right that think that we needed to change some things with, with Section 230, that it gives too much freedom, too much power yeah. um, to the to these social media companies to be able to have all this power while simultaneously having no regulation or liability saying, oh, it's not, you know, we, we can't do anything about it. But this, then, yeah, is the 230 Act, is that getting amended? I know there's people talking about it, but we've been talking about it for like a year or two now. I don't know. Well, don't... that's so that, well, that's what was so funny to me. And like, not to get political, was like yeah. Trump was a vocal critic of it. Right. And was in a position where he could have done something. And about then didn't do, it. Any, didn't do anything. Right. And at the end of the day, it made sense because, like, oh, <laughs> if, if you do something about 230, then all of a sudden Trump loses like some of the plat, you know, like Twitter ended up deplatforming him anyway. But, um, yeah, it's essentially like here's the way I see it is you make people make the argument that they're like, OK, if you're taking off Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, which like all that happened like simultaneously for Trump. Like yeah. once one platform yeah, did it, they all did it. Waterfall. Uh, they're like, people on one side are like, well, it's not really a violation of his free speech. At the end of the day, you can still go. Uh, you know, disseminate your information if you want to. You could yeah. go out on the street, talk. Like, I think right. those are just... But in today's world, if you're stripped off all those platforms, that effectively is taking you out of the, the conversation. That's taking you out of public discourse. So it, it's gotten to the point where I think there should be some sort of regulation that protects free speech on all these platforms. Um, and, and it would take bi bipartisan effort on both sides to kind of, like, come to a conclusion and amend... Yep. Yep. Uh, 230, which I, I think, uh, unfortunately, coming, f you know, the idea of, of going, the both sides coming together right now and anything seems pretty, I, pretty I, unreasonable. I don't feel like we're leaning that hard to the left. I, I mean, I'm saying they should regulate the, the, uh, big social media companies right. so they can't just deplatform someone like Trump. Right. I right. think there should be freedom of speech. Like, in I guess maybe the regulating the big tech companies. That, maybe that's leaning left. I don't know. Either way, um, yeah, I'm trying to say that I, I think there should be protection on uh, on freedom of speech. Yeah, 
I mean, we the First Amendment is the best amendment, right? <laughs> First Amendment. That's 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 how I feel. The First Amendment is the best amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Pro, wait, it's speech, religion, press, assembly, and petition. Those are the five. That's Congress the, shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's it. Or freedom of press. That's it. Uh, the other argument, the other argument to make, and we can just wrap this up here, is uh, what did Spotify do? What, what Spotify did, in a sense, is no different than like the decision, the, the kinds of decisions that publishers make every day. Is Sp- Spotify is just the publisher? They made a decision not to do anything, because that's that's what that's what they did. They did nothing, right? They didn't they didn't punish Joe Rogan. They didn't take his stuff off. They didn't do anything. That's a that's a decision. That's no different than like all the hundreds of decisions that any publisher, any news publisher, any social media, no different than, than the decisions they make. It's a editorial decision in a way. Different way of looking at it, but um, I kind of like how both parties have handled this. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, with the Spotify, yeah, I feel like they've both been like, yeah, you you could you could think what you want about the criticism. I think you know, using the N word a bunch of times is is pretty fair, is a fair thing to criticize. I don't think that's controversial at all. Um, but I, I kind of like how both parties have handled it. But um, I feel like we should. Maybe move on from this conversation before we talk ourselves in circles all day. Um, Aaron, do you know what this week is? Super Bowl week. Super Bowl week. Well, it, it, oh yeah, it is this week. It it's is this weekend. It's Sunday. Yeah. Woo. So what we're gonna do? Let's not forget this because we're gonna forget if we don't write it down. Let's write it down and let's say like on on Thursday or on Friday's show, let's let's you and I enter the Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Squares contest. Is that fair? Let's do it. All right. We're going to write it down. RockyMortgageSquares.com. Scan the QR code on the screen. You could win up to $500,000. Is that right? Somebody will win 50 grand for every score change? Ridiculous. Two two people will win. All right. We're going to enter this live on the show. Um, Not today. We'll do it. I think the longer we wait, I don't know. Why would we wait? There's no advantage of waiting longer, probably. But... um, the longer we wait, the 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 more the winds will have shifted. Maybe there's like an injury report between now and then. So we should definitely wait till like Thursday or Friday to to enter the contest. So we will, um, and and uh, check it out if you haven't already. Enter the contest. It's free. It's free to enter. Shout out Rocket Mortgage. RocketMortgageSquares.com. Uh, we are going to repeat this um, P- um, call to action. Every day this week, so don't forget about that. Uh, okay, let's do a few other things. Let's take a look at um, an article that our own Chris Cacci wrote over the weekend. Um, Aaron, if you want to, if you can pull up your Benzinger Pro on, on the screen for a second, I would love to run through the most searched tickers. Wait, you want me to pull up your Benzinger Pro or my Benzinger Pro? You can pull up yours. Okay, I got to pull up. Uh, the, the most searched tickers on Benzinga.com and Benzinga Pro combined in the month of January. Do you want to guess what the most searched ticker on Benzinga.com actually no, it's just for Benzinga Pro. Excuse me. Uh, the most searched ticker on Benzinga Pro for the month. Do you know do you want to guess what that was? It's very I'm gonna give you a hint. It's very um basic. Wait, I don't want to guess because I know. 
Oh, you you know? Okay. I read the article. Okay. It was SPY. It was SPY. SPY was your most searched ticker on Benzinga Pro. I like that. I, I like the people who are searching SPY. It's basic. It's not um, like a high-flying thing. It's the SPY. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right. I guess I'm pulling out my chart right now. Wait, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Where's my spy? There's my spy. Yeah, of course it's spy. Wait, is my mic working again? Yes. Is my mic? All right, is, I, my mic is good. Okay, spy. That, that's awesome. I like to see that. Spy had a pretty interesting month here. Uh, worst month since March 2020. But hey, shout out to spy. Number two. Does anyone want to guess what the second most searched ticker? On Benzinga.com for the month of January was this. This is not uh, an ETF. This one is a stock. Uh, it is a it is a popular stock. Does anyone want to guess what the second most searched ticker on Benzinga Pro was for the whole month of January? I'm waiting to see some guesses before I give it away. It was. Uh, these are both good guesses. Palantir is a good guess. It is not correct. BBIG is a good guess. It is not correct. Ah, there it is. The reporter. Tesla was the second most searched ticker on Benzinga Pro for the month. What would you do with Tesla here? I, I'm kind of torn. It's sort of right in the middle of this, like, because it had that, it had that big old run from when from like September or August to uh, to November of uh, uh, of last year, and then it just sort of been range bound. What do you do with Tesla here? You're right in this gap. That's interesting. Look at that gap. That I, I don't know what that gap is from. Maybe earnings. I don't really. I, I don't know. It's probably earnings. But you had that gap from October now from. Uh, what is that? Nine ten to to nine fifty. We're, we're right there. Mm, how I don't I don't know. Is Tesla buy or sell here, Aaron? Do we know? Do you? Know? I think so. So looking at this chart, what I see is that I haven't seen enough out of Tesla over the past two weeks to show me that it's out of this downtrend it's been in for the past couple months. Um, it's also trade, trading well off of its highs compared to some other stocks out there. If you look at like Apple, Amazon, kind of how close those stocks are, are to their highs uh, compared to Tesla, I think it shows you that uh, those stocks that are closer to their highs are more in favor with investors right now than Tesla. Um, with that said, I'm not going out there like trying to short Tesla, right? I've, um, you know, I've seen too many people get burned doing that. But to me, I don't see this recent price action as enough for me to say, okay, this is out of its downtrend. Um, so I wouldn't be looking, I'm, I'm kind of just hanging on the sideline, not really looking yeah. to add or sell right now. I'm like perpetual sidelines in Tesla and I own the stock cause I own ARKW, but like I never know how to, how to look at this. Who wants to guess the third most search ticker on Benzinga pro in the month uh, of January? It, it, it was, it, it is similar to Tesla. It is a, uh, a large cap, Stock, technology company, um, high flyer. Nah, yeah, high flyer is fair to say. Um, Well-regarded, um, one of the leaders in the market, if not the leader in the market. 
Actually, let's just do these next two back to back because they're they're very they're very similar. So the answer to the uh, the the uh, third most searched ticker uh, for the month is Apple, and the fourth most searched ticker is Microsoft. Three and four, Apple and Microsoft. Let's look at each of those right now. And gosh, that Apple report was so was was good. It was good. The Microsoft report was also really good. Well, the guidance was good at least. Now that we've had a few days to to digest these earnings reports, I feel like I would much rather just buy these blind. If I had to buy like a few stocks blindly, I'd pick these two above almost anything else. Yeah, and, and if you want to throw Google in there, Google's also uh, trading lower today after Google reported a great report last week too. So, yeah, all these names. I think some. I think all these biggest, all the biggest names. You know, Apple, Microsoft, um, Google, all trading similarly. I I don't know. I mean, I like. I don't know why you wouldn't just like add to positions on these on any red days. Yeah. Like you see like this yeah. over time. I feel like that'd be you know a very sound way to invest. Like anytime you see Apple down, just throw some money into it and know it's not going to be down for for very long. But with that said, I could see just uh straight like choppiness in these big names for the next few months i think i think a lot of these names just like need needs time to digest a lot of times um all like funds out there all big institutions already hold all these names yeah so really there's nothing to do for them but to sell and then add back once there's some sort of drawback so i'm not looking for any big moves in some of these biggest names right now i'm looking for bigger moves in some of the names that have been uh, beaten down more like names that drew down 60 70 percent compared to, i mean apple only ever went like 20 percent off know. of its highs i know every time we get a a five percent dip in apple you, you you we should just slap ourselves and buy that's that's what you do you slap yourself when you buy yeah um okay th- now this is where things get fun so apple microsoft for the top three were the number three number four most search tickers on benzinga.com or benzinga pro last month number five this is where things get a little bit crazy. I want to see some guesses here. Actually, spoiler alert, I, I did already see this ticker guest in the chat. This is this is a uh, a retail favorite stock. Thank you, Trey Trey Doges. Appreciate that. The fifth most searched stock on Benzinga Pro in the month of uh, January. Uh, it was not. It's not AMC or GameStop, but. You should throw it in like a group with them. Yeah, there it is. Tiny, and I saw Shelly already guessed it. Tiny Pie. B B I G. Vinco. Is Vinco Ventures still the name of this company? God only knows. Um, we've had B B I G on this show a couple of times. We are still trying to get them back on this show. They are uh, shockingly hard to schedule right now. I guess I can't necessarily blame them, right? Um, something else I want to say about about this stock is um, people reach out to Benzinga, to to me, you know, to Aaron, uh, to get people on 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 this show, to get you know executives on this show, because they think that that will pump the stock. Um, don't think that, okay? Don't think that someone being on this show. Um, it is enough to pump the stock. It, stocks, stocks can go up or they can go down. Um, and I've seen both happen. Um, and don't think just because someone is doing an interview means the stock has to go up. 
during the interview. That's not that's not how it works. And we don't we don't exist to pump your stocks. We don't exist to pump any stocks, actually. Um, so don't think that just because we're going to book someone on the show means that the stock has to rip because it's not it, that's not how it's it, not how it works. Anyway, BBIG, there are bag holders galore on this thing. I don't understand this company. I know it's a TikTok competitor. That's I've interviewed you know Ted Farnsworth, and I still don't understand the story here. I really don't. Um, I think at, at a certain point, you have to let the market speak for itself. You know, three dollars should tell you all you need to know. Every spike in this thing has been a spike to sell eventually. Yeah, I think that's kind of how you have to approach this thing. So let's keep going here. Number six, the sixth most searched stock on Benzinga Pro in the month of January. Not a, not a crazy high flyer, but not a super boring one. It's it's like a real company. This is a real company that went on a, went on a big run for a couple months and has since cooled off a little bit, but it's a real company with a real business and real revenues. Who wants to guess what these... Yo, wow. You guys are good. Yeah. Is it because we're in the Motor City? Was that... Was that? I think they have the article pulled up in a different tab. It's because they're cheating? You guys, you, Michael, Michael Feehan told them you, to. Y'all are cheating? Michael Ford. Feehan. Well, that's why we're not giving away any swag. Ford, number six, most search ticker on Benzinga Pro last month. I... I gotta say, man, I would be concerned. Just, just, just look at this chart. Does this, does this look good to you? This does not look good. Okay, it, it, it tried for like what a month, not a, not quite a month, but like three weeks to get through that twenty-four area. Couldn't do it. You had this head and shoulders, and then you have this gap. That's from what Friday that gap down. This is not this is not good. If you're if you're in this for the long term, you're in it for the long term. But for the short term, this looks pretty pretty ugly. Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. I don't know. I'd wait a little bit. I mean, I, they announced over the weekend that they're slowing down some production, some or stopping halting production in, in some factories due to like more chip shortages. Um, so certainly, some not so great news for Ford there. But I don't know. I mean, I'd be surprised if we saw this drop. I mean, shoot, if it drops another two bucks down to like 15 again, I'll, I'll look at adding because we were at 25 bucks like a few weeks ago. I mean, I still. <sighs> Can you wait till like, oh, yeah, you said 15. Okay. Yeah, that's where I'm seeing like any any sort oh, of previous support. But I don't know. Look at look at the forward chart long term. It's long term. It's such a dog. Only in the last couple of months did it start to rip. And that never happens. Um, yeah, but we always we talk about it. Price. Price often precedes Ooh. sentiment, and so if, if Ford's up 3% tomorrow, you know, we'll be having a whole different conversation. Maybe, maybe. All right, <laughs> let's run through the rest of the list here. Number seven, NVIDIA. NVIDIA was the seventh most searched ticker on Benzinga Pro last month. This monthly chart looks interesting to me. Yeah. What? Is happening? Here comes the money. Oh, I want just a Kramer buy on here. Buy, buy, buy. On NVIDIA? Well, I'm just saying on the soundboard. But yeah, yeah. I, would, I would hit that on NVIDIA. Yeah. Wow, that's that's too... Holy cow, that's interesting. The last time NVIDIA had two down months in a row was in 2018. Oh my gosh. 
This stock is such a monster. Yeah, it got a little uh, overextended, but we have earnings later this month, and we saw AMD report great earnings. I'd be surprised if NVIDIA doesn't as well. I mean, I'm sure that's already somewhat priced in, but, I mean, look, if, if you run a company right now, uh, or if you run a company in general that is selling literally every single product that it produces, yeah. you're, in, you're in a good spot. And that's where NVIDIA is at right now, right? Every single chip that NVIDIA, they sell them before they finish producing them. Yeah, uh, that's basically what AMD said in their earnings report too. It was like we can't even keep up with production for how much demand there is. That's also what Ford said. <laughs> Ford is like we have to stop production because the demand, the, we have to stop taking pre-orders. Yeah, but Ford's looking for the chips that AMD. I know, and I know, it's a different. Making. I know, it's a it's a different you know uh, stage in the process. But but uh, yeah, I I I don't own Nvidia. Like I own it via like the VU, but I don't own the stock outright. But Maybe I consider it here because you see, like you see him. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I, I think I'm talking like I think long term is yeah, a great yeah. buy. I think, of course, you know, with, with, I mean, the stock's still up eighty percent over the last year. Like, could it come down another ten, twenty percent? Sure. But long term, it's an easy buy. I mean, it, it's literally every single uh, kind of transformative technology that you can think of, whether it's AI, Nvidia's in it. Gaming, Metaverse, uh, NVIDIA's in it. Self-driving, NVIDIA's in it. Uh, everything. I mean, crypto, NVIDIA. I mean, it's, like, it's literally every single industry that we expect to continue to grow, NVIDIA has its hands in and is actually like the thing behind the thing for a lot of it. I mean, I like TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, NVIDIA's a beast. Wait, so July, 20, July 20th, 2021 is when NVIDIA did their split. Right, it was a four for one split. In it was in July. Yeah, it was at like right. eight hundred dollars a share and went down to two hundred. Right, right. Um, and we got so it was at eight hundred. Yep. Okay. And how high did we get? Just we got we got to, to like three. Uh, three okay. When you come in, never mind. I was wondering how close we got, but when you get anywhere close to the pre-split number, oh, back to eight hundred. Um, no. eventually. Okay, let's wrap this list up. Num next up, number eight. Most short tickers on Benzinga Pro last month. Lucid, LCID. This has been, for whatever reason, uh, like the best performing EV. Uh, you know, outside of Tesla, the best performing like like um, total growth, no revenue EV company out there. It's I, I mean, if you look at it's still uh, still above its spec price, which is frankly a a, a a miracle. Frankly, I mean, um, yeah, it's well off its highs, but twenty six. A lot of these things are in single digits. Faraday Futures just had to like restate their financials, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. What are the last two names? Last two. Uh, number nine, QQQ, which you we love. Don't, to, we don't need. You this. love to see it. And number ten, our old friend DWAC. The Ooh. tenth. Oh, speaking of DWAC, DWAC's having a nice day today. Up nine percent today. Do we know why? Do we even care why? I don't think we care why. Although it is February. When is the thing supposed to launch? February twenty-first. I love how you know that. Well, it's yeah, President's I, Day. Oh, is that wait really? Is that is that really why? Yeah, that's funny. 
Good job. I've I've been looking at puts on DWAC all day. I'm just scared. But like at some point, like it has like even if it even if it continues to trade higher, I mean it's like due for a, a red day, right? Like you'd assume. I don't know. I mean it seems Well, I just had one four days ago. So oh. that that means yeah. there, there you silly, go. Silly me. <laughs> Um, uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, we had when we had uh, Enrique on a few days ago. He was talking about the the puts from uh, the long dated puts. Those are getting more and more expensive. <laughs> um, but all right, so so we'll we'll post the link for that. Uh, oh, shout boy. out Chris Cache wrote that article. Top ten tickers on Benzinga Pro. It was for the month of uh, January. Month of January, right? So we'll be we'll be putting those out monthly. We'll we'll talk about yeah. them on the show. Yeah. Um, but sure. real quick, so so we have Matt Hammond joining us in about five ten minutes from yeah, IPO yeah. Warriors. We're going to be going through some IPOs for this week. Um, and then after that, we've got a, a special guest coming, right, Spencer? Yeah, another new guest. I, I love new guests. Uh, we had, like, a bunch of new guests last week and another new one today. It's Scott Sewell, uh, Sewell sorry, CEO of uh, Charo Solutions. Uh, he'll be on the show at 1245. Um, and we're going to be talking uh, – it, it, it's sort of like – it, it, it's, it's remediation. It's, it's – uh, um, environmental services is how I would describe it, broadly speaking. Uh, so that'll be at 1245. Should mention we're going to have Jake Wajastic from Trendspotter on the show at 1 and Chris Capri from the Benzinga Options School at 130. Um, in the meantime, quickly, because I just see, I, I see someone asking repeatedly in the chat, you want to look at Pfizer real fast? Because Pfizer. Yeah, well, I, I had one other thing I wanted to oh, get to before. Um, we bring on Matt Hammond, and then yeah. I'm, I'm sure we'll have a couple minutes where we can go through Pfizer real quick. So yeah. um, I, I, I want to talk about BABA real quick, Spencer. And I know Ooh. we've talked about BABA a lot on this show. Um, you know, so I, I started kind of pointing it out once it got below like 180 that, hey, there, there's real value in this play, of course. Um, the stock, pr the price hasn't really agreed with my thesis and has continued to move lower. Uh, and, and news... New news oh, in BABA is that SoftBank may sell its stake in BABA, which uh, at, off the headline, okay, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But uh, SoftBank uh, essentially was, was one of the banks that underwrote uh, Alibaba's initial IPO. From like a decade ago? From like a decade ago. Oh. And SoftBank holds about 25% of wow. the company. That's a big seller. Um, well, and so essentially what happened was uh, Alibaba on Friday filed with the SEC to register 1 billion American depository shares. Um, so people basically were like, well, why would Baba need to, to basically register a billion uh, depository shares? And essentially that people are theorizing it's so that SoftBank can get out of its position. Uh, SoftBank has held these shares pre-IPO. Um, so they aren't listed like as an, in an American exchange because they're just from the the company themselves. Um, so, yeah, That's I mean, interesting. And just to be clear, regist registering shares, all that means is, is they're bringing those shares, they're bringing adding new shares to the market. Right. That's what that means. Because so because SoftBank has held these shares since like pre Baba IPO, they're not registered. They're not registered right. as American depository shares because why would they need to be? They just hold these this twenty five percent of the company from the company itself. They never it never needed to be on the market before. But if they want to sell them, they gotta register the shares. Um, but they're also gotta give SoftBank liquidity. Exactly. Because that's the theory. We won't know. We we really won't know for uh, a while. Yeah, and then, and then an, <laughs> uh, an analyst from Citibank also 
uh, said that part of it may be f- for an employee equity incentive plan. Eh, it could be. Um, it could be. But we, she said from Citibank, we believe it might also suggest potential selling intention by SoftBank. So the question is, with Baba's stock price right now at one hundred and fifteen dollars, we've seen it just get beaten up over the past year. I mean, it it was it was almost three hundred dollars, like exactly a year ago, three hundred and ten at its all time highs in October. We're, what we're at five year and and that's why first of all Baba's stock is trading down about six and a half percent today, which isn't nothing to sneeze at. Off this news that SoftBank may be selling, if we get this confirmation that SoftBank is selling, yeah, say Baba drops another like ten percent down to like ninety five dollars or a hundred dollars a share. I mean, what do we do then? I mean, to me, like, yeah, I, I can't keep saying like buy the day. It, it's a buy, but at some point. Well, that's always the question with with anything, or whether it's Alibaba at a hundred, whether it's Robinhood at seven, Peloton at, uh, well, I don't even know what Peloton is now, but like, yeah, at what point do you, do you back up the truck, right? That's that's what you're asking. Yeah, at what which point? we've seen, which we, we've seen, uh, Charlie Munger kind of you know add into Baba, yeah. and he doubled down. So yeah. like it was two quarters ago, he added at like one seventy. And then the next quarter, he added again at 140. And it's not just him. There are other institutions adding Baba here. So it's interesting that while all these other institutions are coming in and adding positions because they see it as undervalued, SoftBank is looking to just get out of its position. Yeah. I don't know if it's I, – I, I know SoftBank has struggled with some other positions <laughs> in the past. I don't know if it's like they need the capital or something. But to me, like, why now? Why after you're watching this – one of your major positions. I mean, I don't know what twenty five. What is twenty five percent of Alibaba worth? Like, it's billions and billions of dollars. Or well, what's the market cap? Why watching it go down, just straight down for market cap of uh, three thirty five. So what's a quarter of that? Is what like three thirty five? So it's like eighty. Eighty. Yeah, I was gonna say around eighty. A little more than eighty. Eighty four. We'll call it. So $84 billion investment. They've just seen going straight down over the past year, and it's like now they're trying to get out. I don't. By the way, do you, you know that SoftBank trades in the U.S. It trades OTC. But yeah, you, but you can trade it. SoftBank also was they they, they were doing crazy stuff with options like during the COVID. I think they like SFTBY. Yeah, SFTBY. What did SoftBank do with options during COVID? They either like <laughs> went way long or way short. They they like screwed something up big time. But then it may. Wait 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 wait. Look at these. Look at the, I overlaid SoftBank and Baba. <laughs> Yeah, because Baba's probably SoftBank's like biggest position. So when Baba's trading lower, um, wow, that's pretty remarkable. I know correlation, causation, that, that whole thing, but that's pretty remarkable. How similar those. Uh, now this isn't the primary SoftBank stock. Obviously, it's going to do whatever, whatever the Japanese stock does. But um, I don't know. Let me, let me say this: I've been against China for some time now. But if Baba got to a hundred. If you and I want to want to want to take a swing, I go in with you. All right, there we go. Baba at a hundred, sure. We only got fifteen. Why the hell not? We got fifteen bucks to go. Um, yeah, and I, I see you, Zoli, in the chats, basically saying it has nothing to do with Baba. All the Chinese, yeah, that's been the the primary reason for Baba's stock coming down this high has been the the fears of China regulation, but. Yeah. There is also uh, some investor fears about slowing growth, which, I mean, like, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to sustain, like, some of the growth you've seen, not just in Baba, but in e-commerce in general. I mean, think about it. Like, 
once a certain percentage of the people are online using e-commerce, buying stuff off your website or off a website, there's going to be less room to grow there. But that doesn't mean there's still not value there. I mean, but yeah, I mean, multiple factors bringing the stock down, China regulation being the primary one, but also some some uh, slowing growth fears out there. Either way, I agree with you, Spencer, uh, 100 bucks. I, Easy I don't trust the company. I don't trust the, the government. I don't trust anything. But, hey, you want to go in at 100? I'll go in for a few with you. Let's bring on Matt Hammond right now from IPO Warriors. And then remind me also later we can get back to Pfizer. Okay, yeah. At some point, we'll, with like, either yeah. with Chris Capri or yeah. Jake, we'll, we'll take a look at Pfizer. Matt Hammond comes on the show every week and previews what is to come in IPO land for the week ahead. So let's bring Matt on the show right now. Matt, how are we doing today? Uh, good. Give me absolutely two seconds to uh, tell some people that I am on this show right now. So we get some uh, okay. other people right. and watching this, you, just tweeting it out. You, while you do that, are you? how are things over there? What's the, what's the temperature? Higher or lower than last week? Oh, you know, things cooled off a little bit for, um, you know, the start of the Olympic Games. And now we're starting to hear more... Uh, more of the pressure. Uh, for those of you who don't know, okay. I'm in Kiev right now, um, hustling to get myself the. I got my vaccine months ago, back in December, but still haven't gotten the QR code. Uh, it's kind of tricky to get my to get my tax ID number. Have to get that hooked up with my bank account. Got that taken care of today, but for some reason they don't have a record of my. Anyway, got my wife her uh, U.S. Uh, visa today. Um, there are kind of issuing emergency visas um, okay. for spouses and that kind of thing. So got my dogs tripped and got their rabies boosters. So we're getting everything prepared to, um, you know, we're, we're definitely talking pretty seriously about going somewhere a little less hot for uh, the um, political wise. Uh, let this thing hopefully just right. blow over. But uh, anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, I did want to chime in no, on the Chinese I'm, I'm thing. Concerned. I mean, the, I'm the, concerned the, about your safety, though, so I want <laughs> no, to know. I am, but... too. Uh, I, I also, I mean, <laughs> I have a, I, 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 thank you. Um, the, uh, you know, we talked about what's going on with Chinese stocks with Alibaba, and actually, I think it was on the show back in May or maybe a little bit after, said, you know, I sold out of, I, I lived in China for 10 years. I was in on Alibaba and Tencent pretty yeah. early um, because I was, you know, clear. it was clear to me that those were going up. Um, sold out once they started coming back down. And I believe that it's not just, I think there's also, there's some questions about what are ADS? You know, these are not the same as owning shares of an American company. These are, uh, I, I mean, the Chinese stocks are listed differently than, you know, you don't really own anything in the Chinese company. Um, there's also, I mean, a lot of people believe that what's going on with uh, Ukraine and Russia is Russia saying, hey, you know, I kind of you know, they, they kind of think maybe China's about to make a move on Taiwan. And, you know, if America's tied up with dealing with that political issue in the world, you know, that would be a great time for them to make, um, you know, make an advance themselves. So there's probably I mean, if I were SoftBank and I had a huge position in any Chinese company now, might you know, especially something like Baba, uh, I might think that this would be a time to maybe. Um, take my chips off the table while I'm still way up. If they bought in at the IPO, they've made a huge profit on it. And who knows what happens if, uh, you know, if a politi bigger political p uh, situation blows up. And um, sorry, Matt, I got I got people just walking in front of the camera here for no reason at all. But yeah. it, but it's okay. 
Keep yeah, they probably think I'm, I'm 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 up there, but yeah, I, I took I got I, I followed suit. I mean, there are I'm about to tell you that there's some interesting Chinese IPOs coming back on the calendar, um, so maybe we segue into that. Oh, but oh right my now, gosh. The last right now we are looking at a. Um, we're still in kind of this uh, shadow of the market being temperamental and unpredictable, and that's not a good look for mainstream IPOs when you've got. Uh, mainstream companies looking to float their shares on, you know, on the markets, they want to come into a strong market and the market wants predictability. The market wants to see opportunities. And we're talking about the market really in this case being institutional banks, hedge funds, the types of customers that the mainstream underwriters like Goldman, like uh, Bank of America, like uh, JP Morgan, uh, Merrill Lynch, these companies want to, Morgan Stanley, these companies' clients who buy the millions of shares of an IPO offering, they want a you know a sure thing. They want a stable market. They don't necessarily want to be buying you know, and these are mostly growth stocks. Yep. IPOs tend to be young companies that are experiencing growth that are raising money to fund expansion, just you know, to fund growth. And that's not what the market has a great appetite for right now. So we're not seeing any of those coming to the market. What we are seeing are low float IPOs, which have been somewhat predictable in how they've debuted and how they've played out. This one, Maris Tech, we said uh, last week, looked interesting because the week before that, we had uh, KSCP and FEI, both two low float IPOs that ran pretty hard you know, within days or the day after their initial IPO. So the setup was pretty ripe for Maris Tech. I'm watching the pre-debut action on these. I'm looking for the buy side, sell side indication. We can see that on, we- on Webull. And with MTech, they really gave us uh, a really kind of a layup entry. Uh, they were priced it at three dollars, so the indication was pr- price was showing three dollars with a heavy sell side indication, like seventy thousand shares, which is a lot when the whole float is like three million shares. So I think it was three point seven million. Anyway, the um, I can check real quick. Yeah, three point seven million was what they raised it to. So we saw heavy heavy sell side in- indicator at $3. So I subtracted 10% from that and said, okay, well, that means it would halt down at 270. I think it's going to halt down at 270 off the debut. I placed my entry at 275 just to make sure I caught that dip. It ended up getting to 271. So it just avoided halting. And some people that were live trading with, with me on this one got in right at 271 and it bounced right back. It was a very easy play. From there, you just set your stop losses. You don't want to go turn, you know, you don't want to be over here holding what was a nice winner into a loss. And I just kept my stop loss tight. I ended up getting out at 310. Uh, some people held it through this little dip down to VWAP. Again, you could have put your stop loss at, say, three uh, and wrote it back up. I was happy to take, you know, a 15% win right off. You know, this was just a few minutes of trading, really. Um, so that was the first play on MTech. Then we got another play here. Where we saw, and we said this as well, look for that day two run or later in the week run after some consolidation. It came back down to three, down as low as 280. So if you picked off down at 280 here uh, throughout day one or say in the opening of day two and then played this rip, you, you, you had another opportunity to take sort of these low float IPOs, get keyed on. After that, it more or less died out. I think it did make a little bit of a run from three to 340 or something. 
uh, later in the day or on day day three. But you know, if you pass day two on these, you don't really. I don't think that it's worth playing these past day one and day two until they get to the quiet period expiration. We're calling that the QPX. Uh, when the QPX comes along, that's 40 days after the IPO, then they can start, you know, the media can start covering it. They can start doing press releases. They could announce some big contract with, you know, with the Israeli army or something, and that can send the, the stock flying again. But uh, to me, the play on this one is passed. If you got stuck in a bag here, you might want to hold it till QPX um, sometime next month. They'll have some press releases and they'll try to run it up. It does have warrants that uh, can get exercised at, I think, 525. So, you know, there's a chance that they try to pump those warrants up. Remember, companies that have warrants, and maybe we should do an episode, not this week, but uh, and talk oh, about what the idea. warrants are on these, um, because those warrants um, end up being, companies have an incentive to get those warrants uh, exercised because that's more fun, you know, funding that comes in for them. Uh, but we'll get to that another time. We got a few things to go through. Actually, quite a few IPOs on the calendar this week. I know we don't have too much time, so I'm going to try to fly through them and focus on the ones that I like. They are all low float IPOs. So in my opinion, the low float play that's come along in the last couple of weeks is probably going to get washed out with this many. When we've seen too many low float IPOs come onto the calendar, uh, there's just not enough concentration um, and focus from the day traders that tend to pump these. So maybe some of them do. But I can't say you can just play all of these and expect them all to go up. My guess is that most of them come down off the debut and take, you know, until the quiet period expiration before they get uh, a real run. I do like this one. This one's Hardcore Enterprises HTCR. And it's far less, has you know, has very little to do with the company itself and everything to do with the underwriter. Uh, Boasted Securities has done, I mean, they are nine out of 10 IPOs they do either debut at a very high premium or go on pretty insane runs after the debut. You can buy this one on Webull uh, in the IPO center. At least you could yesterday. I went in and said, okay, I'll take, you know, whatever they'll give me. And otherwise you're watching the debut. If this debuts at the IPO price, you know, look for a run. If it debuts higher, you know, way high, uh, don't touch it. Um, unless, and this one, I just don't see it as a stealth IPO. We've talked about those before. This one's out of Japan. Uh, there's no direct tie to China. There are lots of low-float IPOs. We saw TKLF. Uh, we saw SOPA. Uh, those, you know, on the surface looked like Japanese, but all the executives were Chinese. And those were the giveaways that those were going to be to me. And I, I've gotten more information kind of through some back channels that really makes me think that those are money laundering plays. Um to give you an idea, TKLF priced the IPO at $4 and debuted at $41. So that's an insane Wait, debut say, price. Say, say, say that again. They priced it at 4 Yeah, opened at 41 Yeah, and it pretty oh much dropped gosh. out from there. But it ranged, I mean, it baselined out at like 30 and then dropped down to 13 and then came up oh. all the way to 37 This is all in oh. one day, you know, oh and not even God. a full day because they don't start trading it. I think it started trading at around 11 11 you know a.m eastern so these can be incredibly yeah. volatile if you can get into this at the ipo price there's a really good chance that this either goes on a huge run or uh you know debuts really high and just drops and if it debuts really high you just sell out of your you know position right away if it goes up into a run through some halts uh you know then we're looking at a stealth ipo and those have done some really crazy things like Price at four, open or you know, price at five, open at fourteen, fifteen, 
and then run to like 70 on day two, you know, go back and look at what SOPA SOPA did. Um, it wasn't a boasted. It was actually Maxim uh, took a kind of random one, but look at CPOP, uh, look at WNW, look at TIRX. Uh, those also did some really crazy things and uh, anything that boasted's involved with, uh, tends to be really volatile. Um, and I'm going to skip to the next one. Now, uh, there's, I could go on a lot of tangents there, but I know we're pressed for time here. Uh, Corp Housing Group, I don't really like this one. They basically own a bunch of rental properties, list them on Airbnb, VRBO, Hotels.com, that kind of thing. They have a bunch more units coming online. Uh, revenues up, gross profits are down. Their margins are pretty thin. Um, negative baseline financials, 2.3 million shares. They're trying to like grow by creating their own website to compete directly with these other companies, but... I just there's nothing exciting about this unless it was like the only low float IPO of the week. Maybe it gets targeted, uh, but to me, there's nothing that stands out that makes this a playable one. Austin Gold, we've seen this on the calendar for a while back in December. Uh, kept getting rescheduled, rescheduled. Basically, a low float IPO that's pre-revenue. They're a gold exploration company in Nevada. Um, gold exploration used to be the quintessential penny stock pump and dump. This company, the CEO did sell his previous company for a ton of money. Um, so who knows, uh, you know, 3 million shares, but I just think it gets, this is one where if it goes way down, way down, um, maybe take a position and hope they drop some headline about permits or, uh, approval to start mining. It wouldn't take too much to send this flying. All of these, most of these, I'd be looking at accumulating, you know, two weeks after when everyone's forgot about it, price has gone way down and seeing if maybe they have some catalysts. Uh, DRCT, really good revenue and growth profits. They're a programmatic ad buying and selling company. Um, but, you know, ad buying and selling has gotten kind of hit recently because everyone's afraid of the Apple, uh, you know, the iPhone restrictions that Apple's putting on, cookies, Google moving away from cookies. And this company mentions in their S1 that, you know, cookies and the, the change in that technology could affect them. Uh, and they hope that they can figure out another way to do it. They try to make it sound you know, op opportunistic. But again, if they had done it last week, I think maybe they catch the kind of low float fever that was going around. And now I think it's just going to, these plays aren't as exciting to me. Um, and I don't see this one having a huge, you know, I, I can't really imagine what the catalysts are. Some of the biotechs, especially the biotech um, that aren't pharma, you know, pharmaceuticals that are in phase three, or pharmaceuticals that are, you know, machines like Inspira, uh, they have, you know, you can see what the, or they have already announced they're going to appear in some medical conferences in the next month or two. Those, those are the kind of catalysts I'm looking for to accumulate once these drop, if it IPOs at like four or $5, watch for it to drop below $2 in the next couple of weeks. And then you can like kind of take a, take a little bit of a flyer on them. Um, Caraloha. This bedding and apparel made from bamboo products, uh, really small to me, revenue and gross profits. Uh, Roth Capital is the underwriter. There's just nothing I like about this one. Skip it. The True Shrimp Companies, that's not a typo. They actually spell it T-R-U with a little T and little dots over the U. I just couldn't figure out how to get those dots in, in, in over the U. But um, Oh, the accent mark? Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, the two, the umlauts or whatever they're called, two dots, I don't, like German. I don't know true i don't know why they need it how else are you going to say that true okay 
Um, this is kind of <laughs> interesting. It's 1.5 million units. I believe that I'm right on that, that there, there's a warrant with each one. Uh, I don't know much about Lake Street. I know Maxim is kind of hit and miss. I don't love this one. I mean, I see no reason to try to play this one. It's uh, pre-commercial, which means they're basically, they're in the process of, they've tested and proven, I guess, their technologies. They have this uh, proprietary patented way to raise shrimp faster. Um, They also have a process for taking kind of the shells and off of the shrimp and creating a product called Cheetosan. Sounds okay. Um, Don't know know what that is. uh, It is used in biomedicine and beauty products. So it's basically like crushing up the, um, you know, the shrimp shells and using it for medicine and beauty products. They don't have any historical, you know, historically they don't have any financials. They're opening up a new plant in South Dakota. This company's based out of Minnesota. I guess they got some good tax breaks uh, in South Dakota. This is kind of like like a long term. This I, I don't see anything sexy about this for an initial day trade type of other than 1.5 million shares is tiny. Uh, so maybe the smallest float of the week will attract some day traders. But kind of an interesting company. I looked at how much they're expecting to sell Cheeto Sand for, and they're looking at revenue of like 19 million per year. Uh, and the shrimp market, I guess, is mostly served by international suppliers. So this would be a domestic supplier for the u.s market and kind of goes okay well maybe it's an interesting company but i don't think it's going to get super uh exciting on day one but that's part of what i'm doing when i'm learning about and studying ipos yes the initial trade i'm looking for is what's going to be hot right on the debut or set me up for like a day two run but uh now i'm looking a little bit further than that and understanding that hey the quiet period expiration i've seen a lot of these especially low float ones kind of baseline out, dip little, dip little. And then as soon as they're allowed to kind of that gag order takes off, gets taken off uh, the share price that goes on a run. They you know want to get the share price back up. And it's pretty easy to do that when it's low float and nobody's talking about it. They make one announcement that puts them on the radar. And we've seen you know some of these really fly. No, they come back down. So you're not going to hold, but you're going to take your profits quickly. Um, others, even mainstream ones, it's just kind of, I'm doing my research now. So I understand the company. So when they start to get a little bit more mature, I have some sense of the history where they've moved, where they've traded, uh, who their underwriter is, you know, what kind of company they are, all that stuff helps me in the long run, having done this kind of strategy for almost two years now, you know, I have an index of hundreds of IPO, you know, companies that IPO'd in my head. And when something runs and people are like, oh, what's that company about? I already have a sense of it. And there's a lot of sympathy plays to be taken advantage of here as well. When mainstream companies in the same industry run a lot of times, these lesser known uh, recent IPOs uh, kind of ride the tail of those of those movers. So here's another one. It's interesting. Again, uh, this one float Chinese company. Um, we used to see these 5 million kind of 5 million share, uh, IPO Chinese IPOs. Uh, I mean, 80, 90% of them would run one way or another. Some of them were insane, but this one is prime number capital and they have a, I would say not so many, they haven't really had one that just ran right off the bat. They have had some like, um, what were some of the ones that they did that 
Sunnum Capital had some that did run pretty hard, and those were uh, though, but they were delayed. Like they weren't right off the debut; they're like a month or two later. And I think they they had more to do with either something trendy like Bitcoin um, or EVs. And I can't play this with a high conviction, but I can say that I'm pretty interested in seeing what the debut price looks like. Because if they price this at $5 and the debut price is up at like 12 or 11, this could be a stealth IPO. Um, it is a little bit suspicious to me that any Chinese company would debut during Chinese New Year's. So the Chinese New Year started on the 1st, it goes through the 15th. Um, it's also the Winter Olympics in Beijing right now. So it seems like kind of thing where if they wanted to get out the door while Chinese regulators weren't really paying attention, this would be a great time to do it. Um, but, you know, they have outdated financials, revenue and gross profit are like, okay, I guess. Um, positive baseline financials, all this stuff is sort of ball it up and throw it out the window. It's either an interesting low float uh, kind of runner or it's uh, low float and actually they're legitimately trying to do uh, fundraising and not just launder money out of China. <laughs> and then it's really not something you want to get stuck in, but uh, definitely worth watching anything that comes out of China right now. Ocean Biomedical, preclinical biotech for cancer, Roth Capital, blah, blah, blah. No, thank you. Uh, Vivacor. <laughs> Uh, soil remediation services. This is actually an uplisting from uh, OTC. So I don't generally like to play these. They kind of tend to already have made their run when it was announced that they were going to uplist. And, and I can say that EF Hutton has had some pretty interest. They did DWAC. They did the DWAC SPAC IPO. They did Our Loop H O U R, which opened it. I think. Four fifty-five and ran over 10 uh, in the same day. So they've done some pretty good ones. They did DATS, D-A-T-S. That went on like a two-week run off the IPO. So they're one to watch. They're not, it, it doesn't look quite as shady as some of the stuff I've seen out of Boasted. Um, but, you know, when you have a series of IPOs perform pretty well, even at the low float level, uh, even when it's an uplisting, and I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm looking at it. And then the last one is Yipo International. And this company is a Chinese company. And they do some kind of parking lot technology where they help drivers find parking spaces more efficiently. Uh, the revenue in gross profits are pretty impressive. The revenue is up 72% in the last six months ending June 30th. Last year, their gross profits are up 99%. Yes. I mean, those numbers can be compared. You know, you can say, oh, well, that's when COVID hit China. And okay, well, then not many people were uh, driving, but the gross margins are still 74% and they have positive baseline financials. What really makes this interesting to me is that the underwriters boasted this is Chinese, pure play Chinese, and the float will be determined. I think the pricing, they're, they're trying to raise 69. Uh, I did the math out and it looks like they're probably looking at a 4 to $5 IPO. So, if you can get uh, pre-IPO shares, I'd definitely get what you can. Uh, they're either going to debut this at an insane premium, or it very well could be a stealth IPO that runs off the runs out the gate. But this is the kind of play that I was looking for, you know, a year ago, and and made some killer wins off of um, off of catching them. So I like this one. I don't know if it'll be this week, 
uh, but it's on the, they did file their paperwork, their filing paperwork. And um, nice. that's, that's the that's one of the ones I'm looking at. So the so the ones that I'm most interested in this week are HTCR because it's boasted, uh, MHUA because it's Chinese and why and it's also the first Chinese IPO since the PRC kind of cracked down and said yeah no more IPOs in America until we implement these new uh, kind of rev- this new review process. So they're bringing that out and then YBZN. Those are the three that are kind of like I want to I'm definitely going to watch those. I'll be keeping an eye on all of them. Probably we'll do some live streaming of the debuts, especially on Friday, since there's so many. And otherwise, sign up for the newsletter. I got a more complete breakdown going out uh, tonight or tomorrow morning. And uh, thanks for your time. All right. Matt Hammond, I'm here, Warrior. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Dave. All right. Oh, sorry to cut you off there. <laughs> 12.43 here. We're going to have our next guest on in a couple of minutes. Interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that Uh that, that one, there hasn't been, Matt's right, there hasn't been any Chinese IPOs since China kind of cracked down on, on DD since that whole thing happened. So we'll be very curious to watch that. But uh, we have our next guest on. Uh, he'll be on in about a minute or so. Uh, we're talking uh, remediation. We're talking environmental services. Scott Sewell is the CEO of Char Solutions, sicker C-H-R-A. Uh, maybe like an, uh, a Biden infrastructure bill play. We'll have to talk to Scott about that. Um, and uh, find out more. So uh, this is just a general reminder. If you have not hit that like button, uh, why? I don't know what you're doing. It's free. It's free. The show is free. Hit the like button. Hit subscribe. And uh, by the way, everyone, Benzinga Pro, do you guys not know what that is? It's Benzinga's uh, real-time news and research platform. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, check out this commercial. We'll tell you more about Benzinga Pro and how to get it. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. All right, pro.benzinger.com. We should have our own special link. I'll, I'll make sure it's in the description later. But let's bring on our next guest. Scott Sewell is the CEO of Chara Solutions, ticker CHRA. And we're going to give Scott the uh, one of the special intros. You ready? Let's do it. Scott, welcome to Benzinger Live. How are we doing? Hey, good afternoon, Spencer. Good afternoon, Aaron. All right, I have to ask you, that background, is that real or virtual? 
That is real. That's Louisville, hey. Kentucky. Yeah. Louisville, Kentucky in the background. You love to see it. We get a lot of crazy <laughs> virtual backgrounds, so I had to ask because it, it, it looks so good. I thought maybe it's not real, but it turns out it is real. Did y'all get any uh, ice over the weekend? We did. Uh, got a lot of ice Friday, Saturday. Kind of things were shut down for a while, but we're we're back in business. That's pretty. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. I'm from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Anytime, like there's ice in, in that area in Louisville, Memphis. Like it seems like uh people you know things kind of shut down more than up here in detroit we'll have like two feet of snow and people are still driving into work and whatnot <laughs> exactly i think some schools are still closed today but uh the rest oh of really still, the rest of us are still <laughs> moving around um wait so you're you're in louisville which is uh not far from cincinnati so maybe go Bengals. i don't know if that's a thing or not. Uh, go Bengals is definitely a thing down here right now definitely a thing people, okay, are, people are pretty excited Go Bengals. Uh, all right, Scott, uh, we didn't a- ask you here to talk about the Bengals, though. I suppose we could if we want to. But uh, tell us about Charles Solutions. Uh, I was looking at your business. You, you guys have you have th- three main business lines, right? Tell us about where w- those lines and where the growth that comes from. No, a- absolutely. Um, we have three main lines. and I think we started the business and founded in 1987. Uh, 1992 got completely 100% focused on, on coal ash um, and all things coal ash. So we were doing that well before uh, it was popular or sexy um, and then a lot of you know tailwinds that kind of drew the business uh, over the course of call it 2008 to 2018 when we went when we went public uh, but at the end of the day you know our three kind of core business lines all re- kind of revolve around ash um, it's our remediation compliance service business our byproduct sales business as well as our uh, ERT or our risk transfer um, component of business which we just kind of really got into in the last couple of years here. Uh, but we do see growth potential in all three of those those lines. Uh, remediation compliance really being driven uh, by a lot of the regulatory action at the federal and state level. Uh, we can get more into that later, but that's really what's driving that business. Uh, the byproduct sales business, that's where we recycle uh, fly ash and uh, sell it to the ready mix industry as a replacement for Portland cement. Uh, you'll see a lot of demand increases in that part of our business due to the, uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh, and then the, the risk transfer business where we um, go out and actually take on the utilities liabilities. We, uh, we, we purchase retired power plants uh, and then repurpose them, demo them, uh, remediate them, and then repurpose them. Uh, and we've seen a kind of a really big uptick in that as you see the kind of increase of, uh, of retirements in coal fire plants over the years. So really just, focus on all things uh, coal ash. And really after we, we spent the, you know, some time divesting our nuclear business, have really centered everything around uh, kind of ESG perspective and environmental services. So since, since you mentioned the infrastructure bill, let's talk about that. Uh, how, how does uh, that bill, what's in that plan, how does that impact Char? I think it's, it's, you know, really not the specifics inside the bill, but more kind of at a macro level. I think we'll see more uh, more spending uh, on infrastructure work, roads, highways, bridges, all things that require uh, concrete, uh, all things that require Portland cement, and then uh, fly ash being a, a great replacement for Portland cement. We'll just continue to see uh, a demand increase for those those services and those materials. So it's not so much the bill so much as what the bill represents is what you're that's, saying. That's correct. That's correct. Interesting. Okay. All right. So then, like, if it's not so much the bill, then, like, what are, like, the 
the specific like catalyst growth catalyst for for Chara going forward? I think one thing that you can you can easily point to um, is some of the announcements that have come out of Washington here in the last uh, call it early this year, like January 11th, uh, the new EPA administration, uh, Michael Regan, his team uh, really came out and kind of staked their position on uh, how they're going to view the the initial uh, Obama administration 2015 uh, regulations. Uh, and I think they've taken a more stringent look, uh, which is going to make our customers, the, the coal power, coal power utilities out there uh, to go really look at their remediation plans, uh, which they have been working on to remediate these large uh, coal ash ponds. And really what it's going to do, it's going to broaden the universe of uh, opportunities for us, uh, as well as probably accelerate the timelines uh, for some of these uh, retirements for some of these remediation projects where we go out there and we we dig up coal ash out of wet, unlined uh, ponds, and then we uh, we take it and place it in, in lined uh, facilities, uh, which is really one of our core uh, parts of the business has been for years, and I think it's going to continue to be a huge tailwind for us. What What is like, I guess, on the spectrum of like federal regulations versus state regulations? Obviously, like they're all they're all important, but like as far as changes to those, which of them is like the more impactful to to your day to day? You know, Spencer, we've really seen over the last several years the states having the the, the greater impact. I think the feds have done a a good job of laying out the guidelines, right? It's kind of the rules of which needs, how it needs to be cleaned up or what to look at from a groundwater perspective or just from a a kind of more technical view. Uh, But what we've seen, and we can point to several states, whether it be Virginia or North Carolina, uh, you're seeing some movement in Georgia as well, South Carolina, um, you know, where the states uh, have worked to kind of provide oversight and more strict kind of guidelines as to the means and methods and the timelines. Uh, and that has really been a catalyst uh, over the years for, for large projects for us. Uh, so we see that kind of a ripple effect to other states as we move forward. Uh, but really short answer to that question, Spencer, is is uh, the states seem to really drive more of the, of the kind of specifics. What, what, was, it, was it always that way? Uh, no, I think we probably started to see a trend two or three years ago, um, when I think there was a lot of inactivity by the, the power, uh, generation community to, to, to react to the 2015 guidelines. Um, and that's when states stepped in and kind of took a heavier hand, um, which generated quite a bit of business for us. And we, we hope to see that continue in the future. I mean, I think we. We came out with a public announcement that we we definitely stand at the at the ready to support our customers uh, post that January 11th announcement. Uh, speaking of recent announcements, uh, you guys do have had several headlines in the past few weeks. You announced an acquisition. Uh, you bought Cheswick generating generating station. You announced you were selling off uh, 80% of uh, real property acreage that you acquired in a previous deal. Um, and I'm sure, I think there are, there are more headlines, I'm sure, uh, that I missed in the past couple of weeks. Um, any of those you want to address right now? No, you're right. We've been, we've been pretty active the end of the year, uh, coming into Q4, we were, we were active and then really kicking off 22. We've, we've been very active, um, you know, our core business as well as in the, I mentioned it earlier, the environmental risk transfer business for us, um, has really been, uh, 
a growing component, growing uh, part of the business for us. And the deals that you're talking about there um, fit squarely uh, into that that component of the business for us. So the Cheswick uh, facility that we acquired in uh, in Pennsylvania uh, is, is a great opportunity for uh, for us to go out and do the right thing, uh, remediate uh, the property, uh, kind of clean up any environmental uh, issues, and then turn around and repurpose it. Uh, very similar to what we did down there in Texas. You mentioned we sold off 80% of the real property in, at our Gibbons Creek facility uh, just outside of uh, College Station. Uh, and that's one another one where we went uh, acquired a retired as asset, um, have remediated uh, or working to continue to remediate the issues there, uh, but really uh, saw value in, uh, in in the land that others didn't. And we've, we've been very successful about repurposing that and then selling it to to others maybe i should have asked you off the top here scott can you explain what what remediation is i don't want to i never want to assume <laughs> that people know no good great question i think uh when we think of remediation in this space um in kind of the, the coal ash world or power generation uh world uh dating back when power plants kind of came into existence and and uh the, the early early days uh the the best method for uh, power generators to dispose of their ash was to just basically put it in a pipe and dump it out into a big pond uh, in the back half of their property. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of acres, large lakes. And uh, sometimes those lakes of ash were came in contact with groundwater. Sometimes they didn't. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the focus is to get that ash out of contact with with the groundwater. Uh, so what we do from a remediation standpoint is go out, uh, take, we have large crews across the country. Uh, we're in over 20 states at over 40 power plants, have over 40 uh, multi-source networks. Uh, but what we essentially do is take a lot of heavy equipment, dig up that ash um, out of those wet impoundments, uh, handle it, and then place it into a dry uh, landfill, for lack of a better better term, so that it it's safe and won't come in contact with with groundwater, um, I, and I use the same word safe, it's more dry. Um, ash is a non-hazardous uh, material, um, and, and there aren't any anything associated like that. But uh, but that's really the remediation piece, is just getting it out of groundwater. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott Sewell is the CEO of uh, Char Solutions. Um, and Scott, is there anything that we, like, as far as upcoming catalysts we need to know about right now? No, I think we've touched on them, uh, right? I think there's a, 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 we've talked about, I've talked about it publicly uh, on some of our earnings calls. Uh, we've got roughly 3 billion in pending bids right now, um, about 7 billion that we see in new, new kind of near-term work uh, right after that to be bid and processed. So we're gonna be busy over the next uh, little bit, um, but all that's being driven by a lot of the tailwinds that we spoke spoke about here over the last several minutes. Um, and, and that's really our focus is on growth and growing a business. One that, you know, I've been a part of for a long time that our management team has been a part of for a long time. And we've got roots in this industry and, and really want to watch it grow. So, uh, well, no, we're just ex excited about the future. I think we'll be announcing, uh, earnings here in, in, in March. And, uh, you guys probably noticed that we, yeah. we raised tightened and, and raised, uh, portions of our, our guidance on the Q3 call. So, uh, really looking forward to the future. Awesome. Thank Scott, thank you. Thank you so much for going on. Yeah. Benzing well, today. I, got, I got, I got one oh, final wait. question. Sorry. Sure thing here. Um, Chara, Chara, the hockey players at Anochara. 
You yes. ever thought about uh, signing him as like a endorsement guy? Yeah, we loosely. Uh, loosely? Yeah, we might have to get it. We might have to work on that. Yeah. Well, you better hurry up. Hockey, hurry hockey's up. not that popular down here in Kentucky, though. That's kind of our problem. No, that's true. No, that's it's true. not. Better, um, better hurry up before he retires. Yeah, he's like he's like he's pretty old. 40. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Um, just and was he, throwing that out there because when I saw the name Char, that was the first thing that came to my mind was Char, yeah. the big uh, the big hockey player. I'll take that back to our marketing team and see what happens. There we go. All right, there you go. Let me know some free All right, advice. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. All right, uh, look, I one of the things that uh, one of the edicts that we have here at, uh, for this one show, what the ed- edicts, e d i c t edict, that's a thing, right? So why did I make that word up? Oh, no, is we'll to, up right is to get companies from all walks of life and to learn about them, right? So uh, that was a company. We've never had any remediation environmental services type company uh, like that, at least on this show. I was before. in remedial science class growing up. Yeah, I bet you were. Um, so that – that that's that's why we do that. We you know we we like talking to companies that are sort of off the beaten path that that don't get like a, talked about all day every day um, because there is a gajillion companies out there and it's more fun that way, frankly. So um, that is uh, that that was that. And then okay, before do you want to talk about Pfizer now, or should we like wait for like Jake or Chris to talk about Pfizer with, uh, let's, let's talk about Pfizer real quick right now. Yeah. So we can give our own two cents before we bring right. uh, Jake or Chris let's on and make, to, and then Jake can give us his, his thoughts let's on let's it. Go just to the on charts the, on Pfizer. On the TA so Pfizer reports earnings when tomorrow? No, either tomorrow or Wednesday, tomorrow morning, tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Yeah. Tomorrow before, before market. All right. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Um, let's go to a weekly chart on the Pfizer. Oh, the- but speaking of the Chara thing, mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast interview with uh, Taylor Heineke over the weekend. Why is that? Oh, the quarterback? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was the quarterback for the Washington football team, now Washington Commanders. Yeah. Um, but I guess he had, like, joked in press conferences, like, oh, his last name's Heineke. He was trying to get an endorsement deal from Heineken. Yeah. Heineken never bit on it. And then, and then like, the same day, Anheuser-Busch was like, hey, if, if Heineke doesn't want to sign you, we will. So then he got a deal through Anheuser-Busch. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Go get that bread. Exactly. So as far as Pfizer goes, um, let's just look up some stuff real fast. Um, first off, uh, what is the expected move here, uh, for Pfizer? We have to go off. Should be able to see it. We have to to go off. Also, I saw a comment about this. Did you see the story about the uh, TD Ameritrade warehouse? I I guess I didn't realize it was a TD Ameritrade warehouse. It what is? It was like where they kept their records. Yeah, but it's very. Uh, I, I didn't. That, that was not clear to me. And to be clear, we we work with TD Ameritrade, but some people are out there are asserting there's uh, some fishiness going on because it was part of this SEC investigation, and then they're where where they're. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people like claiming crazy shit. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes I. Um, how many conspiracy theories end up being true? Like one percent? I don't know. Like, um, like I, I don't have any data on that, but um, yeah, I, yeah. It, it, if if you want to see a conspiracy there, fine. Go ahead. 
but it's probably not. All right, fine. Then what's what's the one conspiracy theory you believe or kind of believe? I I'd have to think about it. Um, I, I I guess I guess I would say the one that like didn't surprise me at all was the conspiracy that like the this government is spying on you. JFK Jr. still or coming back? What was the thing? Or, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, uh, or, or was it JFK or RFK? RFK, uh, yeah. RFK is coming back. I, I, I would say what, when it came out that the NSA was spying on everyone, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, didn't really surprise me at all. Um, so maybe that, but that that already came out. So so I I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not a big conspiracy theorist guy though it is fun to speculate real fast on the on the pfizer thing then we're going to bring jake on uh pfizer's expected move for the week is around um what's what what what's this it says like six percent so what is that like four no that's like three dollars it's like three dollars so pfizer is not as likely moves a lot so we're looking for like a three dollar move in pfizer so it's not not but on not the options front here. A lot yeah. of times you can find, I mean, that Clorox trade I made last week, I, it paid out so well because there wasn't, we got a move that was way oh, sure. bigger than the expected move. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I just don't want people to think, oh, because it's a lower expected move, it, it's like nothing to trade off of. I don't know. Oh, no. I, yeah. I think, I I think from a fundamental standpoint, so this has nothing to do with like what I think Pfizer is going to report or how the stock's going to trade after earnings. I think from a fundamental standpoint, you can make the argument that both Pfizer and Moderna are getting... Uh, kind of undervalued. I mean, P- Pfizer's PE is like 15 what, right now. What is it? It's a. It's got a forward PE of nine. Ma- yeah. Moderna's a different. What's, what's the price to sales on here? Moderna's a different story. What's uh, Pfizer's price to sales? Four point three. Which okay, is okay. That's, that's like higher than average. Well, it's actually. It's, I think it's average. Average. Uh, Moderna's a different. I'm just saying. I, different I, ball. I, I think in, in in our heads, it's easy to hold Moderna and Pfizer in these camps of like, oh, these stocks have gotten way too high because of how they've ripped throughout COVID. But at the end of the day, like. From a fundamental standpoint, has is Pfizer like overvalued here? No, I don't think so. So, um, I, I think it's interesting. I'm not playing tomorrow's earnings in any way. I'm not gonna like get in on options on on calls or puts or anything. But um, if say Pfizer uh, is trading down like 10% tomorrow after earnings, like I'd be very interested in it, in it at a, a on a long trade from there. And then as far as like movement, I talked about the expected move. Pfizer, frankly. Um more often than not, it does open higher the day after its earnings report. If you go back the last three years, I'm, I'm on a, a different platform here. More often than not, it does open higher. But if you go out like one day, two days, three days a week, it's it's kind of like a, a 50-50, it's higher or lower situation. So there's really not much of a trend. And as we, as, as we said, it's not a big mover. It doesn't typically move. You're looking at a anywhere from um, – a one to four percent move off of earnings based on the last three years. So that's 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 not a lot of movement here. So I don't know. I I think if you're in this for the long term, great. Short term, I don't really see any action here. But let's bring on Jake Wajastic, the co-founder of Trendspot. He's got all the coolest charts, all the best charts. Jake, what's up, what's man? Up? How's it going? It's going. How was your weekend? It was good. We were in uh, Houston for the Trendspider meetup so that was that was a good time we had a lot of a lot of fun with everybody and a lot of people showed up uh so yeah a lot of traders in houston for sure we gotta talk to our uh post office guy our, our invites must have got uh must have gone lost. lost i don't know that's weird i've never been to houston though how was houston it's huge 
So yeah. very spread out. I feel like everywhere we went, it was at least 20, 30 minute drive. So that was all right. I, of, I, uh, strolling I flew out of uh, Houston a couple weeks ago and like the plane took off and I fell asleep. I woke up like 30 minutes later. We were still flying over like the Houston suburbs. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It is uh, quite spread out, um, but we had a great time. It was, right. it was mostly just kind of a, a meetup. Uh, we posted quite a few times on, on Twitter, but I'm assuming you guys will be in Vegas. So uh, we'll, we'll see everybody there for sure. Yeah. Uh- yeah, that's a, that's that's an assumption, Jake. <laughs> it's definitely an assumption. Uh, that's also a ways out from now. But you're, talking about, you're talking about Jonah's thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. wait, when is that? I don't know. He just texted me about May. it this morning. He he said there's like a Zoom call about it that I'm gonna. Oh, I meant to tell you about that. I think it's on Thursday at 1:30 p.m. Eastern, so oh. I may have to hop off the show at 1:30. Oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, Jake, I saw on Twitter uh, you were tweeting about Disney. Yes. Yep, I I did post a chart about Disney. We have a little descending yes. triangle action or something. Oh, had a uh, yeah. We have the symmetrical triangle. Uh, this is interesting because last time we had this same exact setup where we were right at the apex, kind of right at the end of this setup. We did actually tank, but earnings are this week, so it's really hard to do too much on the charting side when you do have earnings coming up. The way that I like to do mm-hmm. it is really just get a you know, a general idea of what are your extreme levels. So, you know, for me, if, if earnings are bearish, uh, you know, definitely potentially testing that zone below around 28, uh, 128. And then above, you know, we have the gap that didn't fully fill around 147, but then we also have that gap above around 155. So you're kind of, kind of in this general area and, uh, you know, I generally don't play earnings. I just, you know, it's just such a binary event. Yeah. But those would be the two levels I'm watching: the, the gap above around 155 or the uh, the previous low around 128. Um, but for now, it's just kind of stuck, kind of like the rest of the market right now. Not a ton of movement. You've got some individual names moving, but all in all, it's a very pretty flat Monday. Um, you know, looking at, looking at, uh, SPY, you've got a pretty similar setup here. You've got the same similar setup in, in the queues. And if you're, if you're looking at the markets, it should always be an if then, especially if you're looking at like a symmetrical triangle like this, that is generally pretty neutral until you move up or down below resistance or support. So in this case, this is definitely a market where you're just kind of waiting to see which, which uh, way this moves. And for now, if you're trying to take a directional move on the S&P 500 within the symmetrical triangle, you know, you're more or less just gambling because this can go either way. Uh, a, a buy trigger for me would be above a close above this previous resistance here, uh, this zone. And then, you know, a, a more bearish thesis would be a close below this area on the daily chart. So until until one of these levels breaks, we're kind of just stuck. Uh, which so so do you have I mean I I was gonna ask because it's topical right now obviously in the middle of earnings season um you know is that do you typically just wait till after the earnings report to do your charting or do you sometimes see something in the chart heading into earnings that gets you interested have you played any of these crazy earnings we've had the past couple weeks between uh no just hanging out on the sideline yeah I haven't uh, to be honest, I haven't been trading a ton uh, with this new. Uh, we're we're starting up a new kind of program that I'm I'm uh, rolling out 
which is really focused on working with brokers and that type of thing. So my my uh, daily market uh, watchings has definitely dropped off a little bit, um, which is which is you know fine because the last couple of weeks you've just had a lot of uh, craziness. Generally, I'm looking at the markets more after hours um, once things calm down a little bit um, from the day to day stuff at Trendspider. But uh, I yeah I. I like to watch the earnings uh, and live vicariously through those that you know made a lot of money or lost uh, quite a bit. So I'm pretty neutral in that whole uh, regard. But I, you know, I have been pretty shocked to see some of these earnings. I mean, Facebook earnings, you know, knocking off over two hundred billion dollars in market cap in less than you know forty eight hours is pretty fascinating. And then pretty much the opposite of uh, what you saw on Snap. Uh, so yeah, there's been some insane moves um, in in. Disney, Disney generally isn't a huge mover. So if we do get a big move, I think people who are playing options are probably going to do pretty well if, you know, that, that move is bigger than what the market expects. Yeah. That's what we were talking about with Pfizer too. It's like, even if there's a low, a low move implied in the market, but then you get a bigger move, you can really make a lot off those uh, kind of surprise moves. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with, uh, living by care i remember after the facebook earnings report i was like on twitter searching on twitter facebook puts just trying to like find the tweets of people who had facebook puts like seeing how excited they were i was like oh that's awesome for that guy you know like whatever um but yeah i mean it's just been absolutely crazy with the with these earnings like you said 200 billion wiped out in facebook and then that, that was the most market cap lost by a company in a single day and then it was either the next day or no, two, it was the very next day was amazon the very next day the amazon. very next day was amazon and it was the, the most market cap added in, in a single day by a single company so uh you know we got those swings on both sides um but l- let's take a look at one of these charts that had one of these crazy earnings reports we may have a little bit of price action after to give us some guidance uh i, I was thinking about netflix netflix works what, what did yeah, you have pulled up i can't i can't i can't i can't see can you guys see yeah, I can see yeah. that. I couldn't yeah. see which one you had pulled up before Netflix. Sorry, let me get that. That was uh, what I pulled up Facebook. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these big movers, you definitely have to wait for the dust to settle a little bit. Uh, Netflix took you know five days before it, it finally moved, and I think part of that move was based on the Ackman uh, investment in in Netflix. So you know, it's. I know a lot of people like to look at like power earnings gaps. That's something Trader Stewie kind of coined where you, you gap up or you gap down and, and then the price action kind of follows that direction of the gap. Um, so in this case, if that played out similarly, you know, this could continue down. And what's interesting is if you look at like the, the monthly chart on this, this thing has had some pretty big moves to the downside over the years. Now, given it is a much bigger, uh, company now. But I mean, back in uh, 2012, you had an 82% drawdown from the highs that you saw in 2011. Uh, Here in 2004 to pretty much the whole year of 2004, you had a 77% drawdown. And, you know, the monthly candle does not look incredibly great here, even though it is like only the second week into February, but we've so far had about a 50% drawdown. So if this did have a similar move to some of these bigger drawdowns. This this thing may not be done, um, but you know sometimes you have to zoom out pretty far because sometimes the daily, especially after this big of a move down, doesn't give you a lot of context. So right. I mean, you do have a gap above, but I can't imagine that filling uh, too quickly. 
that's all right. I, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I think I think if anything's able to fill a gap like that quickly, it's something like Netflix. I mean, everyone out there right now is like, oh, the big tech trade is dead, you know, whatever. And it's like, all Netflix needs is a couple. 3% green days in a row. Next thing you know, like every investor out there is interested in it again. I, I don't know. I I, I know Jake's a, a, a chart a chart guy, but I'm more concerned like fundamentally, frankly, on it's not just Netflix. It's Disney too. It's it's all the streamers. Uh, um, yep. I, I, think, I, I, I think the next yeah. mover for Netflix is going to be Roku. You know, when Roku comes out, their earnings, it's likely going to move the market on Netflix too. Yeah, I, you're probably right. I, I'm concerned. Like these streamers got such, where they were afforded such a huge premium uh, for so long for the last basically, I mean, forever, but up until this point, I'm worried that the market is now starting to understand that like the streaming business model is frankly just more expensive and not as lucrative as like the old way. Right, and but but wouldn't on the flip side you could you could argue that Disney now has had the bar lowered for their streaming. You could argue that. I mean, output from from Disney's you, last report, and then also Netflix's that. most recent. That if Disney is able to, you know, show some good growth numbers on Disney Plus, it's like oh holy cow! It just could, blows expectations. You could argue that. You could argue that. You could argue that. Um, you could also <laughs> say, hey, Disney Plus is like a fraction of their business. The main business is still. You know the studio and the parks, right? Um, and 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 the media. Um, but I don't know. I I I'm long term Disney shareholder. Never going to sell Disney, but I am a little bit concerned here about like the market re-rating how it how it values streaming platforms right now. But we'll see. I'm I'm basically at my cost basis in, in Disney. So whatever. I think, um, uh, I think you know. When, when Netflix came out, you probably had the market price in some type of, you know, Netflix numbers for Disney. So if, if it's yeah. better than that, you know, it's all about expectations. If the market expects X and it gets Y, it doesn't really matter what the numbers are. It's just, you know, how the market prices it in. And then you kind of go yeah. from there. But you do have some gaps above on this if it, is, uh, if it does catch a bit. Uh, is there anything else on your radar, Jake? Or you want to just run through a bunch of stuff that, that, that we were watching? Um, yeah, so you know, Roku is definitely on my radar, just uh, simply because you do have uh, earnings coming up next week. Uh, so potentially an earnings uh, run up into that. So Netflix kind of have potentially this uh, double bottom here forming. You know, Roku is one that can literally move ten to twenty percent a day, and you've seen it a couple times on the way down here. Uh, most notably the one in early December where you just had this massive squeeze where you pretty much bottomed out around 198 and hit a high of 265 within four days. Um, so th this is one that I think could have a little bit of a move. Um, for now, uh, not moving too much today. You did have a pretty nice spike during the morning and then everything pulled back with the market. But this is definitely one I'm keeping an eye on. If you look at the weekly chart, you'll see here uh if i turn on the volume by price and kind of measure it from the start of this this higher these higher lows here in 2018 we are holding at a pretty interesting spot one the volume weighted average price from that uh december 2018 low we're trading almost right at it you also have this trend zone that you're trading right at and then on top of that you also have this area of a lot of volume supporting price in this general area so a lot of shares uh that did purchase a a couple of years ago are now pretty much back to break even. 
Um, generally that will dry up the supply a little bit. So this is actually probably more of a weekly setup than, than even a daily for me, but you know, you have earnings coming up. The one thing I will note, you know, snap moved at 1.60% after hours, uh, when they had earnings and snap is double the size, or at least it was when it moved, uh, than Roku. Roku is only like a hundred, uh, like a $21 billion market cap ish. Let's just say 20 where snap is uh, over 40 now. So if you do, the, I guess my point is you've seen market caps much larger than Roku have some insane moves over the last, uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple weeks. So, uh, you know, that makes me think that Roku could have a really, really big move. And it's just hard for me to believe that this can drop much further without some type of corrective move to the upside from people just covering their shorts. It's already down 71% within the last uh, less than six months. Uh, you would really have to have some bad news. And I think obviously with Netflix, that was priced into to Roku as well. Um, so that's one I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Uh, also keeping an eye on Delta. Delta, pretty boring Ooh. boomer stock. But yeah. uh, I do love this chart. I have traded Delta quite a few times in the past. I don't trade it that often. But when it does have these setups, I do like to trade it. You're pretty much getting pretty close to the apex of this symmetrical triangle here that's been forming for about two years. Uh, so if this thing did break out, you know, I would look for a potential target of uh, the previous highs that we saw in 2021 in March. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I think it seems at least uh, that COVID is really starting to you know lose some ground here as far as variants go. The Omicron variant was much less severe, but it definitely was more contagious. I think the world is just going to learn to deal with it. And you are going to see some, some people kind of getting back to their normal lives. And, you know, if we're, if we're closer than we were in March of 2021, then I would expect this to at least be near the price that we saw around 52 that we saw in uh, March of 2021. So this is definitely one I'm keeping an eye on. I also like GE, Uh, GE kind of the same thing here where uh, for me, I am in this one. I'm just trading uh, the June, yeah, June uh, 105 calls. And the thesis there is simply, if you just measure the volume by price here from this uh, this low before we moved higher, that would just be a retest of the supply above. So right around 104, 105, it's not like a long-term hold for me or anything, but I do think based on the weekly setup here, we could probably uh, get back to that 104, 105 area. And then I would just take my profit at at the target above. Um, so you know those those are definitely some names. I think BA would probably uh, come into play there as well. You know some of these names that a lot of people consider boomer stocks. Uh, you know I don't mm-hmm. I don't really consider them boomer stocks. I think you hey, know, hey you don't have to justify. Don't it's fine, man. He's a dad a, now. You're a, a, a dad. He's a dad now. All of a sudden he's looking at dad stocks. <laughs> And actually, I didn't even realize Boeing moved this much today. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely another one on the radar. Generally, if I'm looking at GE, Boeing just kind of comes into the mix with that. But you are kind of breaking out of, if you want to call this kind of this flag type of formation here. Uh, I'd call it more of like a consolidation. But all in all, a strong setup there. And on top of that, CRM, this is another one that I do like. Ooh, Not too much today but thesis is the same you know you've got this potential double bottom very similar to kind of what we saw in roku 
Uh, and so if you did have this W type of formation, uh, my target would be the gap above around 243. But those are I, the I, only ones I'm watching. Go ahead. Go ahead. I've got another name that may it's not as sexy as some of these like big growth uh, tech. You know, it's not a Snapchat or anything like that. Uh, BX, Blackstone. And here's, here's the thesis. Hear me out. Uh, the company raised its dividend, which is set for February 14th, a week from today. Um, special dividend. I, I don't know if, if, like, historically, if that causes an increase in volume purchases. That's good to uh, me. What is this daily I'm on? I mean, you're definitely flagging pretty nicely right here. Um, and well, actually, Spencer, one thing I was thinking that would really move Disney is if they said anything about their dividend. I think that would probably take more weight over any metrics yeah. that they post. Um, probably right. Yeah. Well, wait. The eight, oh, you, okay. This is going to sound really stupid, but they still have a dividend, right? <laughs> I don't even know. A dividend is, is when a company pays. No, be quiet. <laughs> I, I, I'm asking if they got rid of it entirely because of COVID or if they kept some of it. I, I, I can check. Yeah, that I, thought they, I thought they kept some of it. Um, I'm definitely okay, not wait. Disney investor, I don't know. Oh, here, I I have the headline. It says Disney dividend to now come in forms of 10% off coupons to amusement park. What? Is this a joke? Really? (laughs) 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 I was going to say, oh, man. uh, No, wait. Disney got rid of the, I think they got rid of the dividend because of COVID. Uh, So so if they talk about dividend or any type of, uh, you know, move towards getting back to that, I think it will be a big uh, reason for institutional money to come in you know because at the end of the day mostly institutional money is moving the market and then retail just rides that wave uh but this that is something with disney that i would think would probably move the market if they did bring up dividend in a positive way at all um and then i mean tesla's always one that i'm watching um hasn't done anything yet it's it's really just hanging out there but it is kind of on this longer term trend zone here Mm. we got to bounce off of it Last week and now we're. I kind of came up with this uh, this technical setup here, which uh, which I call the barcode. Pretty much haven't done anything, so it looks like a barcode. If you want, you know, X percent off of uh, your next grocery, just take a picture of that, and they'll probably be able to scan that. So you know, this type of thing is not good for options traders unless you're selling premium. Uh, this thing has done absolutely nothing over the last five days. They give it, you know, you'd even say six days if you look at the range. Um, but other than that, that, those are kind of the main ones I watch. I, I really don't watch too many at a time. I, I have a huge watch list that I will, you know, bring up a stock higher up in the, the list once it shows some interest. But any any given time, I'm actively not really watching more than uh, more. Oh, MU is the last one actually I'm watching. Uh, that's that's oh, one that I started a little position in. So yeah, MU is one that I like. If you look at the weekly, you've got this just massive ascending uh, triangle here. Uh, so ascending triangles, just you have these higher lows, and then you pretty much have a flat resistance area. Um, so this is definitely one that I'm keeping an eye on. I did enter this one today for a swing trade. I would probably just trade it up to the previous highs here, uh, unless you've got some momentum. Uh, I think I think uh, ON reported today, which is another yeah, uh, semiconductor. Yeah. They, had a, a, they had a good one. MU is always a laggard. So if you see semis moving and MU hasn't moved yet, that is almost always the one I'll get into because it's almost always lagging. Um, 
crazy enough. I don't know why. I think people kind of throw that one in the uh, the boomer names as well. Uh, but this thing, you know, everybody loves the, loved this thing two months ago. Now, you know, people are kind of backing off. But I, I do think this one's going to have a nice move if we can hold the previous low from last week, which is right around seventy eight. Um, so if you're if you're looking at the weekly candle and you're trading a longer term kind of contract or just a position, you know, you don't want to get too worked up on the daily moves. You, know, you want to throw the weekly candle on there and see, OK, if we break below last week's low, that's when that's when things may start to be invalidated. But that is kind of my level I'm watching is that 78. If we break down below 78, then, um, you know, I, I think it, you could even technically break down a little lower based on this zone. But this is definitely one on my watch list and that I uh, have an active trade in right now. Not a big position at all, but uh, uh, just one that I uh, figured would be an, a nice swing based on this current bullish engulfing weekly candle from last week. Jake, I would be curious to get your thoughts on Peloton here. If you, if you can give yeah, any yeah. thoughts on Peloton. Yeah. Cause I've, I yeah. kind of feel like, I don't know. It, it really depends on, you know, who you are and, and why you bought this thing, but the, 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 Friday and today has been a gift. And if you're waiting, if you're holding Peloton, I, uh, I love how Peloton is still up like 18% today. But if you zoom out on the chart, it like there, you can barely even see like the 17 or 18% move. It's been up like 50% after hours on Friday or something. Some crazy yeah, move. yeah, it, it, it was actually. It got to 35 and now we're at 29. So I think if you were looking for a gift, you got it. Yeah. Uh, also, they report earnings yeah. tomorrow, but if you, but I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, this one's tough. I mean, same thing. You're going into earnings. You've got just so many variables in play there. But the same thing. I mean, this thing has dropped so much. You really have to have some type of news that the market has not priced in yet for this to drop, you know, below these previous lows, which are around 23. Uh, I have heard a lot of people like on the institutional side talking about this. I've had friends who are like, oh, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, my friend at whatever told me that Peton's, you know, looking interesting. So um, I think what, what is what is the news like a potential buyout rumor or well, something? Yeah, they're speculating that anyone from Amazon to Nike would could potentially maybe theoretically be interested in buying Peloton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean – it definitely looks to be potentially bottoming uh, here. If you look at the weekly chart, I mean, you're still shockingly from the COVID lows, you're still up on this thing, like 64% if you bought it in March of 2020. So there is, you know, there is still room to move down, I guess, technically, but I would, I would say that this looks decent. This, you know, this looks decent for a move to the upside rather than, continued downside i think it all depends if this thing starts to fill the gap below then more downside but you have such a binary event coming out tomorrow i guess if you said earnings are tomorrow then you know you may gap below this gap or you know so yeah that's that's a tough one there's just a lot of variables with that but congrats to those that held it over the weekend well, they didn't have much of a choice because the headline didn't hit till like five thirty p.m. on Friday. So yeah, exactly. So uh, so yeah, you know, uh, yeah. definitely a big mover uh, in the market. I think one of probably one of the bigger movers in the market today. 
Um, and then, you know, other than that, uh, I'm happy to take a couple requests. I know uh, we we're probably about out of time, but, um, if you, we, we got time for a couple more. So, uh, if you have a ticker for Jake, drop it in the chat right now, right, right now. this very second. And we'll have Jake give us his, what, on about, his... what about, I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, CVX Chevron. Chevron. CVX. X, oh, X, X. oh man, he's gonna give it to you, Jake. He's oil time highs. All yeah. Time. Well, well, you've got some previous lines on there. Yeah, I, uh, I think I went over this. Like, wow, holy crap! Yeah, no, this is this is pretty uh, impressive. I gotta say, um, and this is this is where you literally just draw a horizontal level here and notice that you know we're about to potentially have a pretty big breakout here. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard, hard to be too bearish, uh, on a chart like this. You're breaking out of a really uh, almost an eight year uh, resistance zone. So if we can hold this now, keep in mind, it is, uh, the 7th of February, this monthly candle still has a lot of time left, but for now you've got some strength here and, uh, looks really good. I have to admit. And if you do. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes against like conventional wisdom, or I guess what you would think is like, I don't know. I know when I first started trading and investing, I was like, oh, buy a stock at all time highs. Why would I do that? Like, I already missed the run. But like, now that I'm more seasoned, it's like, oh, that's the sign of a of a stock that's in favor and very strong right all now. All time highs beget more all time highs usually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I will say though, with the, it, it's with something like Chevron. Uh, you obviously have the outside catalyst of if OPEC decides tomorrow to increase production of oil and then the oil crude oil goes down, you know what I'm saying? It's like not a lot of it's um, kind of out of our, out of the charts control, I guess. Let's do one yeah. from the chat. I'm sorry. I don't know if you finished on, on that one. Yeah. 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 Let's throw, well, yeah, yeah, let's, let's throw up. Uh, oh, sure. This is all right. Let's throw up beyond meat. Why not? Beyond meat. Yeah. Did you just say let's throw up beyond? I don't think that's what you're supposed to do with it. <laughs> you're supposed to eat it. Some people, some people might. I haven't okay. beyond meat in a long time. Yeah, I don't think I ever have or will. Um, weekly, kind of a weird chart to be honest. Daily chart. Yeah, talk about like you know a nice uh, example of kind of that barcode. You know, just pretty much has done nothing. It's just chopped around. You have hit some lower lows. The highs have kind of remained about flat, but for now, this thing is just chopping around. And, and the thing about BYND is if you do want to play options on BYND uh, and you do have this type of chop, the implied volatility on BYND is really high, or at least it used to be. I, to be honest, I haven't checked out the, uh, the contracts or the chain here for BYND in a while, but I do remember it having a really high implied volatility. So if the market does not move, the implied volatility is getting hit. Uh, you know, the move doesn't happen. So implied volatility crushes and that's when your premiums get hit. Um, so yeah, I, I, oof, I don't have much to say about this one. It's uh, if you want to just look at it as an, if then, you know, if we break this 68 area, that was previous high, then uh, I would look for then a test of this next high around 73 then I throw an anchored VWAP on here. So this is kind of your previous uh, high before you gap down. I'm assuming this is earnings. 
So you've got kind of three levels. If we break above 68, which is this previous high, then the VWAP is your next level around 71. And you can see that the price did respect that here back in June, or I guess, uh, what, like three weeks ago, right around here. So that would be, you know, a level to watch. Now, if we did break down through this previous low, which is around 56, then I would fully expect us to at least test this low around 53. So a lot of these things that you look at in the markets, especially on charts, have to be an if then. You know, if we break, yeah. then this is the level. If we don't, then that. It's it, it just helps you kind of stick to some type of logic there rather than just coming up with a bull or bear bias without much to go off of. And and especially something like this where you don't you just don't really have the long term setup either. You're just kind of look at all these wicks. You're just chopping around over the last two months. Um, You've, you know, some people probably have made some decent money on the downside, but you had to get out quick because then you have these huge spikes to the upside where it probably would have eaten away all your profits uh, if you did take puts on this. Um, so, yeah, I BYND, not incredibly directionally uh, evident of where we're going to go from here. All right, Jake Wajastic is the co-founder of TrendSpider with all the coolest charts. You can try the code uh, BZ25. Yes, sir. 25% off your TrendSpider sub. Uh, Jake, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. All right, we got to bring on Chris Capri right now. He, do he also joins us on Mondays. Chris Capri is the what is he like the the sultan of the benzinga options trading school he's like the he's like the deity uh, he's like the the leader um, the king what's the guy's name from from batman the commissioner no uh what commi not commissioner gordon no he's the, the commissioner of the, the guy that batman like goes to train with rajah ghoul yeah rajah he's, he's the rajah ghoul <laughs> that's of, a that's a good one of uh Mr. Rajagul of the Benzinga Options Training School, Chris Capri. It's going to be on the show right now. There he is. Mr. Capri. Raj is kind of a bad guy, and I, I don't see myself in the same light as him. I tend Wait, to he's a, bad, he's a bad guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. He ends up, Batman ends up fighting him, doesn't he? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, forgot I about prefer, that part. I'm more aligned with the Batman, if possible. So Okay. The but Bruce Wayne of the Options the guy. <laughs> Um, Chris. Let's take a look on what's on your radar for the week. I know we're still in the midst of things when it comes to earnings. Uh, we've got a few names in the chat. I've got a couple names that I'd be very curious to hear your opinion on. Um, but but let's start with let's start with 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 what's on your radar. Okay. So charts are available. Let's take a look at Peloton. Um, I actually kind of gave this trade idea last week for the Benzinga Option School members. I said, look, Peloton's getting pretty low you may want to consider acquiring some calls because there's potential talk about a buyout and all it takes is one suitor to come in and you're going to see the stock price launch. That's exactly what happened. And so some of the members are saying, hey, thanks for the call out on that. They made some good money on this. But let's take a look at this thing here now. So we've already kind of, Peloton has been coming down forever and ever and ever. There are talks that the CEO, you know, might be in trouble and in some ways rightfully slow. You know, if your stock price has gone from 160 to 29, you know, your leadership could, should come into question because a lot of people have lost shareholder value in Peloton across the way. So, you know, he's under potential threat right now. They're so cheap that they've been suspending operations. So they're looking for about, they can't manage their current expenses. They probably budgeted 
as if their stock price was going to be like 80, 100 plus. And now that they're sub 30, they're realizing, crap, we're in a much different situation here. So the buyout talk is legitimate. Amazon, Nike, Apple, all would be good potential buyers for it. I think Apple's probably the best because um, I think they have the best way to leverage it. They already have a lot of software they can integrate Peloton with, and then they can also put their software on it. It allows them to stay within their ecosystem. Amazon has the manufacturing and logistics, or not the manufacturing, but they have the logistics to be able to produce them, get them out and things like that. And Nike already has the sports audience. Any one of those are good suitors. But with that being said, until that announcement comes out, we're probably not going to get a different you know, boost from any new potential buyout until somebody comes out and says, hey, we're taking serious interest in it. So most of that move is already gone. However, we have earnings tomorrow. And so I'm not sure if it's before or after market. But that's, we have IV, implied volatility, is already elevated because of this big spike. And then we have IV building due to earnings. To be honest, unless Peloton has gangster earnings, like truly gangster earnings, like beats on the upside, revenue and EPS, forward guidance is good, which I don't think is going to happen, then I think Peloton is probably going to have a miss on earnings. They've, they've just lost so much money that it's leaning towards them having a miss on earnings. So let's say I'm right that they are going to have a miss on EPS or revenue or forward guidance or whatever it is. Okay, well, implied volatility has been built up. And that means that after earnings, IV crush, implied volatility comes down. I think that unless they have those gangster earnings, I would look for Peloton to pop and I will look to sell Peloton going into that pop. Short term, shortest expiry I can get this Friday if I can get it. I don't even know if Peloton does have, do they have weekly options? Let's find out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they got weekly. So we can do weeklies on Peloton, no problem. So And it's tomorrow after close. After close. So yep. what that basically means is that Ivy is going to continue to build up leading into that. After the close, they're going to announce the earnings. Stock is going to spike up or down. I think if it does even have decent earnings, but not gangster, it'll pop a little bit, but then it's going to come down. Why? Because when I look at the option positioning on Peloton, prior to today's trading, they had about 508,000 calls, 490,000 puts. Today alone, volume has been huge at 182,000 options, but it's not overly bullish. 99,000 calls and 82,000 puts. It's only marginally bullish. And so that means traders are a little bit stacked on the bull side. And so if the earnings don't come out that great, all those long calls are going to start monetizing those options. You're going to see a big drop in the support for Peloton happen. So I am leaning towards playing the bear side, assuming they don't get gangster earnings. And I would either play that with like a bear put spread or maybe wait until the day after the earnings are out. And let the, you know, let the earnings come out and then maybe sell an iron butterfly and iron condor because volatility is going to collapse. And I think when it does, it's going to probably find its way back towards, you know, this 27, 28 support. I think it's overextended. If there was an announcement on buyout, Peloton is not at $28 right now. I think it's overextended. The majority of positioning is around 24, 25, not a whole lot prior to today above 25. So I look at that type of positioning and I feel like, yeah, I think there's going to be a big collapse in IV. I think IV's been stretched. And I think after the earnings, IV comes down. So I'd like to sell volatility. And I could do that with an iron butterfly or iron condor. If I want to play straight directional, 
If they don't have that gangster earnings, then I would either get long a bear put spread, which would be getting long puts up here and then selling puts further down below. Or I might get wrong along uh, a broken wing butterfly to the downside. So you get long puts, you would sell two times the amount of puts that you buy here, and then you get long puts here to protect to the downside. So it'd be a directional move to the downside, and I capture a certain amount of profit. So I I think other than them having gangster earnings, and why would they have gangster earnings? They're cutting off production. Sales have been down. They're having problems covering their costs. You know, I just don't see them having gangster earnings. So I'm leaning towards waiting till the earnings come out and either selling volatility or playing the downside direction on that. I agree. So, and I, I don't know if you've been playing a lot of these earnings moves. I, I've been dabbling in a few of them. I actually, I, I, I played Google right. I played Apple right. I played Facebook wrong, and then I killed it the next day on Clorox. So I had Clorox puts, which the implied move uh, was only like 5% or something. We ended up getting like a 15% drop in Clorox. So I bought yeah. like $150 puts for like 80 bucks a contract. They ended up being worth a grand the next day because it, it was like intrinsically valued. Clorox opened at like 142 so it was 8 bucks below my strike price, and I had bought the – um so playing these earnings has been crazy but i have one and i agree 100 percent, chris that nothing we've seen out of peloton over the last three months six months would indicate that they would have a surprise beat um but i have another company that's reporting tonight i believe um I, and granted i don't know a lot about this company this was kind of like pointed out to me on twitter and, and whatnot um the ticker's dac take a look it's a, a shipping uh corporation okay yeah it's a it's a c like maritime shipping corporation and if you scroll way out on the chart i mean this stuff this was like a two dollar stock like not that long like pre-covid and is now a 97 dollar stock but if you look at the company's last earnings report uh they crushed it and with all the shipping supply chain issues uh apparently this company has just been making a bunch of money um, so they've raised, so they're already this quarter supposed to be making more than they did last quarter, but they had a surprise beat last time they reported. Um, I'm curious if, if, if we did get that surprise beat again, is this a stock that like, you know, would have a lower implied volatility and we might get a big move? Okay. Well, let's take a look at this. So I've never looked at this stock before. Um, DAC, let's see what kind of options are on this stock. Okay, this is a stock that's in what I would call the lower volume of options. Um, prior to today's trading, it had about 30,000 calls and 24,000 puts. That's 54,000 options. My general criteria for trading a stock in terms of options is a minimum of 100,000. So a total of all the options in the universe across all strikes for that stock, minimum of 100,000. Um, the reason being is because when they're less than that, you're talking in this case, 54,000 options are spread over, you know, how many months and expiries. That means there's going to be a liquidity challenges at particular strikes and at particular expiries. So when I look at that, I feel like, okay, this has only got monthly expiries. The volume today is a total of 6,600 options. So it's about 10% of the total open interest, but Today alone, like for example, the 95s, they've only had 824 options and they have an open interest of 1800 for the February 18th expiry. So that means if I get into this, I might have a hard time getting filled on the outside. 
you know, there's certain strikes that have very limit, like less than a hundred options. So my chance of getting filled becomes now an issue. If that wasn't an issue, if this was a hundred thousand stock or more, I think there's some decent play on this. Um, the one concern I have is based on my statistics, it looks like about 60 plus percent of the options on this are going to expire this February 18th. So as we get closer and closer to February, you're going to see a few things happen. You're going to see calls or puts that are in the money. In this case, calls, they're going to be monetized because they're going to start experiencing more and more time decay as we get closer and closer to the expiry next Friday. That also means that you're taking some of the support out of the market. That also means the dealer hedging impacts from the long calls. If traders are long calls, dealers are short calls. If dealers are short calls, they have directional risk to the upside. So how do they hedge that? They get long shares. So now if the long calls come out of the market, then that means the dealer long share hedges start to come out of the market as well. So that you're start you're talking about a fair amount of options coming off next Friday that are most likely bullish in supporting this. So I like the idea. Um, I just I'm not really crazy about the total flows on this. They feel like there's gonna be good liquidity. Like you might be able to trade a few contracts here and there, but you couldn't do 10, 20, 50 contracts. Otherwise, you're just gonna you're not gonna get filled. So with that being said, I look at this and I feel like. It's supported. The options positioning says, suggests it's supported on pullbacks into between, say, 90 and 80. So overall, aside from those liquidity issues, yeah, I think it's a good stock to buy on pullbacks uh, with options. And, yeah, and I'm like you, I, I had no clue like who this company was or what they do. It wasn't until it was pointed out to me. Yeah. on uh, on Twitter and stuff that like, oh, this is interesting. And I'm curious. I mean, like. I want to find the next one of these companies before it makes that move from from two dollars to ninety. Uh, yeah, Zim Zim is the same business, kind of the, that maritime shipping. I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but it seems like it would have been, um, you know, in, in the realm of possibility to to figure out. Okay, what are the effects going to be on the shipping industry from COVID? Okay, who are they going to be the the companies that benefit from this, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, because to to look at this chart, I mean, to go from wherever it was pre-COVID to where it's at now. And, I, and I've never even heard of it. And I've been, you know, here at Benzinga every day for the past 18 months or whatever. So it's like, wow, I, I got to, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just shocked by this. So I think the way, you know, this is, you know, you're kind of looking for long-term breakout stocks basically is what you're doing. So the short answer of that is, first off, you'd want to be looking on like higher timeframes like weekly and above. The second thing is you'd want to be looking for stocks that have, strong consolidation periods where they don't really break out of anything like this is a pretty strong consolidation for quite a while so you look for stocks that are dormant and then what you're looking for is stocks to break out of that weekly range on you know big surges in volume so you look at the breakout and you can start to see a big surge in volume that would be a few criteria you'd want to look at at that point i'm not really sure it's best to trade it via options because you don't know how long this trend is going to run. Therefore, you don't know what expiries. So the suggestion would be probably to get long calls and then sell premium, sell calls, or sorry, get long shares and sell premium. So get long shares on the breakout and then start look selling a premium one month out, you know, 10 deltas or something like that. Add a little alpha to your trades and then just keep trading that until, 
you know, one of the moving averages gets kind of broken or something like that. So you have a risk adjusted basis. But, you know, that's if you want to do that, just keep in mind these types of trades, you know, you're not going to get them where you're in and out in a few weeks. Like these take like, look how long this breakout is December 20, you know, till, till we are today. That's a, that's like, you know, almost two years or was a year, right. a year and a month. So these types of trades, you have to have a tremendous amount of patience with and you have to have filters for, you know, finding ones that are potential candidates. But that's I do have a strategy built around this. But um, that's kind of like just some of the short variables. There are other more important variables for that strategy. But that would be my recommendation. Yep. And, and Jay Rice in the chats uh, throwing out Zim, Z-I-M, uh, similar in the same business. Um, but yeah, all right, moving on from DAC, any, anything else on your radar, Chris? UPS. UPS is as good earnings. Um, I think it's probably, it also had a host of analyst upgrades. So I'm looking to buy on pullbacks. Um, you know, maybe you get long shares, maybe get long options as well, but it's hard not to be bullish on this. You know, a lot of times you get these big earnings and then they tend to collapse a little bit after earnings. This has held its weight. So they increased their dividend. They're, they beat on earnings and revenue. Their forward guidance was good. They're improving margins. Like this is the kind of story you're looking for in a medium term play in a stock. So I like it. I just want to pull back a little bit, but I like UPS uh, to the long side in this for the next one month, three months, six months out. Um, you know, they already have a good dividend of 2.7% and that's, you know, increasing. So I like that. And then Amazon. Um, we were actually watching this trade live in the Benzinga Option School. So when this thing happened, the big spike happened. We were teaching our class and literally, like literally when the stock was like right here, I was like, hmm, I see resistance between 32 and 32.50, maybe 3,300. I think this stock is going to pull back after earnings. And that's exactly what happened. Now, with that being said, it's kind of consolidated since then. And I think you're going to see some more consolidation in Amazon outside of a new catalyst. So I like selling iron condors on this. I think Amazon probably stays between 3,300 and 3,000 for the rest of the week. So I like selling iron condors that would profit from staying inside that range. IV obviously got elevated due to earnings. It definitely came down on this session, but I think it's got more to come down. Like the weekly IV, when I look at the weekly implied versus historical, there's still a little bit of a dislocation between implied and historical. So I like being short volatility. And I think it's going to stay inside that range for the week. If you think it's just going to roll back even further, then don't do an iron condor. You know, get get long to the downside. Long bear put spread, long put broken wing butterfly. I think both of those are good directional plays. But I think Amazon is probably going to start pulling back a little bit. Because when I look at, you know, kind of where dealer hedging impacts are and resistance levels. So what are we at? 3,100 right now. I think if we get down to say like 3137, then I think this rolls down probably towards, you know, 3000. I think it rolls down to 3000 where it'll start to, you know, maybe find a little bit of support around there. So I'm neutral to bearish on short term, just this Friday. After that, I'd have to reassess. But these are the main tickers I'm looking at is Peloton, UPS, and Amazon right now. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm curious, is there, I mean, are you just bullish the space right now of UPS or is there like a reason to prefer UPS over FedEx? 
Um, no, uh, mostly because their earnings was stronger. Um, you know, one of the, UPS business is well known. Everybody knows what their business is. So this is, you know, this is like a big aircraft carrier. It doesn't like turn very fast. And one of the things that big businesses always struggle to do is to develop new lines of income, new streams of income, while also improving margins because they've had decades to improve their margins. You know, my brother used to work for UPS, both as a driver and a manager, and they would literally do testing on everything. Like they realized that if you have your keys attached to your wrist, they would shave off roughly 30 seconds per drive instead of reaching into your pockets to start the truck again or something like that. So they've been spending decades how to refine every single thing they do in their operations to get their margins down as best they can. They actually improved them in the last quarter, which means that they're kind of thinking differently about their business model and they're taking different approaches that they hadn't taken before. So that new kind of thinking to me signals an evolution in how they're approaching their business. They're also establishing new growth verticals in their e-commerce that plus dividend plus forward guidance going forward plus margins getting better all to me suggests that UPS is a good stock. I haven't evaluated FedEx on its merits in comparison, but I do like UPS in relationship to that. And when you get a 2.7% dividend, that's solid. It's not gangster, but it's robust. And so yeah, and I, I mean, feel like medium term, it's a good stock dome. And just from a chart perspective, I mean, UPS is at or right near all-time highs, whereas FedEx is well off of its all-time highs, which just indicates yeah. to me that... Uh, there's more strength in the UPS stock right now than FedEx. Um, I, I'll, I'll throw you out a couple names that I'm curious your thoughts on. Then I'll, I'll, I'll see if there are any in the chat that, we're, that we want to look at. Um, how about... Um, okay, I've been watching Array, A-R-R-Y. It's got beaten up, but it looks like we may be consolidating where we're at now. What's the symbol um, again? A-R-R-Y. This is a solar play. Um, it's been a runner in the past and is now beaten up below $10, starting to look interesting to me from a fundamental standpoint, but I'm curious your thoughts on the TA standpoint. Okay, so let me do options just super quick. From options, I would not trade it. This thing's got maybe 11,000, 12,000 options. It's too low not enough liquidity, like you're we're gonna have a hard time getting in and out. I'd probably pass on this thing just from an options perspective. What I do see in the options, and again, it's not that much, is about 30% of the options are expiring this February uh, 18th. So, you know, you already have 8,600 calls and 2,900 puts. That's not a gangster amount in terms of share volume or notional share volume. So you're gonna have some of that support out of the market, but when I look at this, I don't really see anything from an option perspective that make me want to get in. From a technical perspective, I never want to buy something just because it's cheap. I mean, just because something's cheap and below the all-time lows doesn't mean it's going to bounce. You know, Bear Stearns at one point was cheap. Lehman Brothers at one point was cheap. There's a lot of stocks that are one point cheap. Being cheap is not a reason in and of itself to buy a stock. So when I look at the technicals, I mean, let's just look at this from here to here. What is that? Six out of every seven weeks selling off. Have I seen anything in the technical picture that would lead me to believe that we're done with this? No, there is a little bit of a consolidation here. 
but it's I'm all watching. I, I think if we see this like continue to just move sideways, and I'm talking about for you know weeks, not just a, you know a few days, yeah, yeah. then maybe it, it starts to look interesting. But all right, I, I I don't want to waste our time. What on would I, well, what would I want to see? Let's just let's just entertain that idea. It starts moving sideways. What would I want to see? I would want to start to see transitions on the four hour. I would want to see start seeing higher lows and higher highs. And I can't find any for the life of me, you know, since November 21st, I can't find any higher highs or higher lows for the life of me until that happens. I'd want to trade to the downside. Um, but if I start seeing like low here, new high here, higher low here, higher low here, then I'm starting to see some transition in the order flow until I see transitions in the order flow. I don't want to trade reversals because this thing could just keep going down and down and down and I'm just bleeding money. So yeah. If it starts to consolidate like you suggest, and we start seeing the the structural changes, I'm interested. But until that, I would have to pass. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, let's let's transition from Array to Shopify, which is a stock that certainly doesn't have a uh, small amount of options being traded. And then they got what earnings a couple weeks out. Okay, so we got some time. Um, by the way, Mr. J. Rice had a question. Doesn't the IV collapse after earnings? Yes, but um, it's not like it's all in one day. IV gets built up over days, and it's not like it just loses all of this IV in one day. The IV continues to collapse over a series of days. So as long as volatility continues to come down, there is still a potential to short IV on that. So hopefully that answers your question, Jay. Um, okay, Shopify. So what do I see? About 130,000. Wow, almost dead even. 130,000 calls and 130,000 puts. Like literally a difference of like 100 options prior to today. That's rare. That is rare that I see that. We just had about 25% of the options roll off this Friday. So the board's kind of resetting itself a little bit. Um, when I look at, let's see here, Shopify. Let me just see. Oh, shoot. I also just realized, Chris, it's, it's we're almost at time. So let's get through. Oh, Shopify gosh. Real OK, quick. so let me just give my quick answer on this here. So um, I, I think you have to play this structure for right now. I'm I'm not crazy either way. I see resistance on pullbacks and the option positioning. So maybe 900 or if not, 950 wouldn't be bad. I would probably look to sell on pullbacks. And then I look at the dealer hedging requirements it's kind of favorable as it goes up. Um, but again, I'm still seeing, yeah, I would probably want to trade this structure and look to sell on pullbacks until we get a weekly close, say above a thousand until that happens. I would just play inside the range. Since we were selling off into the range, I would look to sell those pullbacks into resistance buy the dips with tight stops on the, on the bottom, and then just look to play that range until it breaks the structure. There you have it. All right, Chris Capri, Second Sky is trading. Where else can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter. And also, I'm on Twitter, Second Sky's Forks there. And also, I am the, what did we decide? Uh, not the Raza Ghoul. How about Shogun? I am the Shogun. Shogun. Or the, how about Daimyo? I'm the Daimyo of the Benzinga Daimyo. Option School. Let's go with that, Daimyo. I'm the Daimyo of Benzinga Option School. We do live every day, share trade ideas. The last trade idea we did was Netflix. Pretty much crushed it on that one there. We got to the bear side, and literally the next day it starts tanking. So, yeah, I share trade ideas like this several times a week, live analysis, live market commentary, and live classes. And it's Woo! this kind of stuff that I'm talking about every day. 
Yeah, y'all got to go check out Benzinga Option School if you have not already. Chris Capri, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, looking forward to next Monday when we get you back on. See you, Chris. Uh, yeah. Sounds good. Be well, gentlemen. All right. We got the hot man. We're running past time. Oh, this is topical. Do you know why? Fathead? What, what about Fathead? I don't know. That's what this is. No, it's not. I no. don't know. Elon Musk. What, what about him? Isn't this picture taken from his Joe Rogan? From Joe Rogan. Very yeah. good. From the Joe Rogan That's podcast. Yeah, there, there we go. go. All right. See, it's all coming together full circle. All right, everyone. We got a hot moon or bus is going live as soon as we're done here. Hit that like button. Hit subscribe. Tell your friends. Wait, tell I think your neighbors. I missed Chris's reference. Joey Fibonacci saying nice reference, Chris, but I, I think I missed the reference. Same time tomorrow, knuckleheads. I came up with that myself. All right, we're just going to give Joey a second to respond in the chat, otherwise I'm going to be very curious. All right, peace. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.